Welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham. And once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, this is the longest episode ever of this podcast. From the band Rambo, Tony Pointless Crowsdale is here on the show. That is right. Uh, an incredible front person, a a DIY hardcore legend from Philadelphia, and my gosh, do we go, do we just go? More on that in, in, in a second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, and he will get the message to me. You can also find me on various forms of social media at left for. Damien, well, just Twitter and Instagram. If you want to support the show, tell all your friends about it. Let them all know that you like this podcast. You can also subscribe to it and rate it. Head over to turnedoutapunk.com and grab a t-shirt. Thank you to everyone who has done that. Very much appreciated. Or uh, just keep listening. You know, that's like, yeah, all you need to do, kind of passively support it. That's, that's it. Uh, I play in a band. We're called Fucked Up. We have a bunch of new records coming out, and we're going to be playing two shows in Toronto at the end of September, and they are going to be kind of like older, older sets, like way old sets, like, you know, back when we used to do, uh, like covers and stuff. Anyway, it'll be a fun, be a fun set of shows. More information on all this over at fuckedup.cc. And, uh, thank you to you for checking that out. All right, on to the show today. On the show today, as I said off the top, Tony Pointless is here. Tony is someone who I've known, well, of for a longer time than I've known him personally, but I've known him personally for a very long time, someone I've always had great conversations with whenever I've gotten together with him. And Rambo, his band, his legendary hardcore band, is back together and so I jumped at the opportunity to have him here on the show. They have a new album coming out called Defy Extinction. It'll be available on Relapse first week of November, November 4th. So you can pre-order it by going over to relapserecords.com and, uh, and do, because the record is fantastic. Very funny, but it, it rips too. Uh, they have a new video that has just dropped for the uh, single The End Is Nigh which is, of course, in reference to Bill Nye, a hilarious video, and uh, a great band. Tony is someone who's a very thoughtful person, someone who has been involved in punk rock for a, a long time, putting on shows and just kind of driving the culture, and then eventually wound up playing in Rambo, and Rambo winds up becoming a band who, through their live shows and through their records, have cast a long shadow in their wake in a band that is very much welcomed back now that they're here again. Uh, once again, pick up this record. As I said, I've been listening to it, and this thing is a monster. Speaking of monsters, this episode is a monster. Tony and I go on and on and on, so I'm not going to go on anymore. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Tony Pointless Crowsdale on Turned Out a Punk. <laughs> Tony, thank you so much for coming on the show. It is my absolute pleasure to be here. Well, as we were just kind of briefly talking off air, it's been a minute, but we have had some epic hangs and conversations over the years. 
Indeed, yeah. And I um, feel. Oh, go on. Oh no, no, Zang. It's it's this. It's funny. Um, yeah, like we have shared history. Plus, like just listening to a lot of your episodes, and I'm like, oh man, like we we you know we were you know just so active at the same time, intersecting with so many of the same people that it's just like it's funny like not only do we know each other a bit but like we know so many people in person i mean in in common that it's like you know it makes us know each other on another level kind of you know yeah absolutely no it really is it's funny because i ran into uh actually matt jackson used to play in iron age i saw him the other day in austin we were kind of talking about how these friendships that we formed back then are just so foundational and i don't know if it's just in punk and hardcore but it seems like most of the people i met at sort of like 14 or 15 all the way up to you know 17 18 just shaped who i am as an adult and like these these friendships and connections are way more powerful than anyone i met after that point yeah yeah it's uh it's intense yeah and it's good to you know it's, it's sad though when you know um you know you don't go to shows as much and you know um, your friends aren't in the touring bands anymore. Um, so you just don't have that like influx of people, you know, there's this people, you, I, there's people that like, I consider to be some of my best friends that like I, for 20 years, I never made a play, plan with, I just knew where they'd be. And then like that, as you get older, you have kids, you know, things change in your life that, um, access to those people just kind of goes away and, and it's sad, but then, you know, the next thing you know, like you're at, Greg Daly's wedding and you're all like going on like a field trip together out of the resort or you're hanging in the pool. You know, it's just like, you never know like how your life will inter- bring each other back into play, you know? Um, well, and that's why we that. need, we need pointless fest 2023. So we can all get back together again, do a reunion. Oh man. That would be, <laughs> yeah, that would be ridiculous. Well, we're going to get to some of these connections, I'm sure, but I got to start this off the way they all start off with Tony, and that's how'd you get in a punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across it? So, for me, I feel like I was primed to get into punk, and I feel like I wanted to get into punk, and I probably thought I was into punk before I was actually listening to punk. Um so I've, I've been into bird watching since I was nine years old and you know, I grew up in Philadelphia. And so being, you know, a kid who likes nature, a bird, you know, into birding specifically with, you know, undiagnosed, untreated ADHD um, in, you know, Philadelphia, like it, I was like a target for a lot of abuse and bullying and whatnot. And uh, nature was kind of like my respite from that. And, in fact, for a couple of years, my parents got a trailer in the Pine Barrens of New Jersey in this, you know, uh, campground. Um, and so that was great for, you know, I think it was eight, nine, and 10 those summers. Um, and it was just, it was great. But then when you, you switch from reading Ranger Rick to like, you're old enough to start reading um, the, like the magazines that come with from like Nature Conservancy or World Wildlife Federation or, you know, whatever it's all like super depressing. So you're like, you're like, Oh wow. Like all the stuff I love is being destroyed by society. And I'm, you know, I'm a kid is being bullied because, you know, assaulted by groups of people because I'm just different. And this is what I like, but societies is, is destroying nature. And it's like, and I'm like, I, I, I see that there's like, 
a culture of people out there that like obviously like are against society and that seems interesting to me and i would hear like i like the cure a whole lot my sister was into the cure so i really like the cure and that's i stayed with the cure but that would just try out bands like violent femmes or like faith no more and then one day i was at an earth day i think i was 15 i was at an earth day uh event and jerry brown was speaking um <laughs> who was like you know um obviously the infamous governor jerry brown and um mayor jerry brown from dick kennedy's fame and whatnot but people were really stoked on him because he was pretty environmental so he's speaking at this earth day event and i was there like wearing like an army jacket with like a cure shirt underneath and like two punks and a skinhead like you know sharp came up to me and because this is like i remember hearing martin's episode you know um when he was saying like he, he made friends just because you saw someone that like that wasn't even necessarily in the punk they're just weird looking and you're like hey could we be friends and it's just like yeah they walk up to me they're like who are you like you're you're obviously into weird stuff like we should know each other and the one when who's so a friend of mine this day was wearing a crash shirt and you know fight war not war and i was like what like fight war you know fight war not wars and i was like mm -hmm. what is that like that is i, I want to know about that and so finally uh, you know when i heard crass i was just like this is this is what i've been looking for like I, I wanted music that you know i was an alienated kid that was mad at society and when i finally found like music that was directly talking about those problems not just like you know singing about being weird and like alienated but like actually like this is the problem and and we, we have some ideas about it like i was just like sign me up i was like that was what i want and so that's what you know that's how i i got i got into it and um so yeah i started off basically with like crass you know and then you know you kind of like work a little bit back because you know there's more out there and you're not quite sure if punk is your thing totally or that you're still into like you know i might want to you know bought a helmet record or like ministry you, you know you're still some other stuff out there but then eventually it was like yeah crass subhumans exploited minor threat like conflict especially like that this is me this is what i'm into it's funny though because even the stuff you're getting into pre-getting into punk like the violent femmes the cure and faith no more like they're all directly you know like once one degree of separation away from like crass in a way you know like they're, they're they are descendants of punk in their own ways yeah and like i remember like thinking i was listening to punk already when i was listening mm -hmm. to violent femmes mm -hmm. you know um and it wasn't you know someone's like well, i no, like you know i mean it's i like your pot how you treat punk on this podcast where you're not so um you know you your your definition is a bit broader than a lot of people's but i think it's more accurate you know it's like i think we narrowed punk punk def it's weird as many offshoots as punk has begotten as many schisms has come out of punk um in some ways it's also gotten too narrow you know, mm -hmm. in, in, in how people define it, like it has to be like, you know, but when punk was first, you know, Ramones and television and Blondie and, um, and then like, you know, it was like early crass stuff. Like, I mean, not just crass, but I mean, the crass records like Zounds and Omega Tribe and like, you know, so, um, so many of those bands were just so weird and different. They weren't necessarily you know they didn't all sound like rhythmetropina they they were all often just really weird and like and different sounding almost like industrial or proto-industrial and like it's just kind of a shame that like things have gotten you know it's 
more rigidly defined. Um, yeah. yeah. It was like almost like a bottleneck. Like, like it was punk was like really broadly defined. Then it was like, then it like bottlenecked, like this is punk. And then, then it kind of expanded from there. But it, if you deviate too much from that, then it's like not punk anymore, which is, you know, kind of, kind of unfortunate. Well, I think it's like you were saying in the beginning, like punk has always been the place where the kid that's super into nature or the kid that's super into playing role-playing games, like it's the place that you're allowed to be weird. It might be the only music, like popular music offshoot genre that, that privileges people being weird and different. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what it's like now, but I mean, you know, goth and industrial, I mean, back in the day, we all just kind of used to hang out like, Mm -hmm. um, on south south street i mean philly in, in the early 90s i think was at a really low point for punk and so you we all just kind of hung out like you know the the you know we'd just be hanging out with those kids with the you know just your hair shaved up the top like long the top with like a german army jacket and like you know combat boots um and like maybe like a ice design new mountain shirt or whatever and then like you know there'd be like goss but they were like goss when they still wore like skinny pants you yeah. know like not like now where they wear these baggy bondage pants like they were you know they look like actual vampires or like you know um and, it was like, and we all go to go- goth night too we'd all like the punks would all go out to the to when there's a goth night you know yeah it's fun. like the pre-maryland manson goth which was a very different thing than the post at maryland manson industrial goth which kind of emerged i guess late 90s into the early 2000s yeah, I mean, this is like the joke back in the day was like you saw a goth kid, you would ask him, you know, Roz or Valor, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. and and now like it's, you know, I don't even know if Christian death is like essential listening to them anymore. You know, I, I think um, everything's gotten so divorced from the like aesthetics have gotten so divorced from the, I guess, inspiration or scene that, yeah, goth at this point is is very much, I think in the eye of the beholder in the same way. Like that's what I love about punk is that, you know, the violent femme guys, when they were on the show, they talk about how much they love punk, you know, and to them, what they were making was punk, you know? And I think Robert Smith probably felt the same thing about the cure, certainly in the beginning. Well, right. I was just going to bring that up. I actually saw an interview with him not that long ago. And he, he, I, he basically still identifies as a punk and the cure as a punk band, you know, mm-hmm. like, like he, he strongly identifies with punk. I think more than, you know, goth or anything else. You know, um, and I think it's true to that spirit of when it was just like making weird music for alienated people, you know? Yeah. And, it, and I think it's the bass player of, of Cure that was in some crazy kill by death band. I'm blanking on the name now, but like some like, you know, thousand dollar record type band. Uh, it was Simon Gallagher? I think so. Yeah. And I'm trying to yeah. remember what the band was, um, but it's like, you know, one of those, you, you know, upper level, like UK kill by death type records. Wow. Um, I didn't so know that because I know him. I mean, he's like not quite original, um, but he's basically been in the band since like '79, on and off. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, dude, that band when he was like 15 or 16, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I've also like always been fascinated by Philadelphia punk and Philadelphia hardcore because, like you're saying, it's it's not like New York or or Boston or even New Jersey where there's kind of like these defined sounds. Like there, it's always sort of like disparate kind of bands in philadelphia and i know eventually especially you know kind of post you know your time and and as you know the guy putting on shows it kind of i think it unified a lot more but it's fascinating looking at it over the years how philadelphia never really had a defined it always had punk and hardcore but never defined thing about it yeah um 
that we never it's kind of like the, i mean i think philly's changed in the last 10 years i know philly's become very prolific um producing a lot of good music um and so maybe philly does now like have a reputation as a place that has a whole lot of music coming out of it uh, I mean, we've always had a collect, you know, there's a Philly soul and there's always been mm-hmm. a couple well-known acts over the years, but we you know, think about like how much smaller Boston is compared to Philly. Right. Or DC for that matter. Like we're like two or three times the size of those cities. And like, they just have way, they just have way more like known about scenes and, and not just even like, not just even, you know, punk like just regular rock music or whatever like there's just so many bands you know from these much smaller cities and it's just strange you know i mean at one point we we're the fourth biggest city now i think we're sixth or seventh but we're still like you know up there in metropolitan area just, our, our city limits have been fixed since 1800 so we just can't grow we can't grow, take in the suburbs and become a bigger city like they can out west but you know we're still this you know we're this massive city and i don't know maybe it's the brain drain because we're so close to you know we're in between the biggest city and the capital so like inherently you know you're gonna like if you there's gonna be people leaving from one of those cities you know i don't know what it is but like yeah we never had you know at least until recently we've never been like this hub of like music and like a well-known scene that people know about and you know becomes influential you know but mm-hmm. but it's also been kind of but we, the band's always played you know here like you know because we're just big giant market so it's it's interesting that it's happened like that but yeah and the bands have been very eclectic you know if you think about like the classic philly bands you know like wide-eyed dead milkman ruin mcrad like you know like of the 80s i'm trying to think of i mean they're all like sound so different from each other you know totally and that's i think why i love the scene so much there is because as much as there is, you know, like you're saying, a Philly sound in soul music and, and Philly sound in hip hop, I guess, and, and certainly Philly style in graffiti, there's no Philly style in early punk. Like, it's not like DC where everyone's kind of doing the same thing. Like, everyone's taking this ball and running a completely different way with it. Yeah. I think, you know, part of that might just be, I mean, you know about like that Dead Kennedy show that was like firebombed? No. Yeah. There was a Dead Kennedy show in Kensington and like, um like literally like someone threw a molotov cocktail in it and um i think philly was just such a brutal place to be mm-hmm. um and it just maybe it just wasn't friendly to you know people just couldn't exist here in safely <laughs> enough to like form bands and like and you know we were really hit hard like you know industry left and philly really you know we lost a million people Hmm. we're at one point you know hmm. um after industry left so maybe it's just like that time in you know the late 70s early 80s into the early 90s was just like such a rough time in philly that it just even if the rent was cheap to buy houses and practice spaces it just wasn't like a a place conducive to like you know maintain that culture that would be conducive to having lots of punk bands it was maybe it's too hostile i don't know yeah like it's 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 hard. I mean, it's hard to understand, like why a city as big as Philly did just didn't, you know, you would just think just like by the, by numbers, you know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, you think about all the other big, I mean, I mean, I don't know. Houston is a very huge city. It doesn't seem to have 
you know, maybe it's the same kind of deal where you don't, you don't hear that many bands come out of Houston, even though it's, you know, extremely big city, but, you know, think about the cities bigger than Philly and Houston, you know, which are only really, you know, especially in the eighties, it was, you know, New York, LA, Chicago, and all three are, you know, legendary for the bands. And then almost any other city that of a, a million or more seems to have, you know, a fair amount of well-known bands, you know? So I don't know. It's interesting to, well, I guess what you're saying, like, you know, in terms of like cheaper places to get practice spaces, cheaper places for housing, like Philadelphia had such a, like a vibrant punk house scene. It, well, you know, better, way better than I do in the nineties. Um, that it <laughs> yeah, feels like entire like, bands would move to Philadelphia. Yeah. Like it feels you like know? maybe that's why Philadelphia explodes in the nineties. Like it's let it, it's later to get there because the precursors, like you're saying in terms of violence and things that were kind of happening, the reality of things didn't allow for kids to kind of focus on making these bands. And as that, that sort of subsides, you have all this cheap real estate, relatively speaking to, to stay in and to live in and to make music in. So, cause yeah, you're in the nineties. It's, it almost becomes one of the capitals of punk in the late nineties. Yeah. Well, yeah. And part of that maybe was because we started, you know, we had the warehouse scene mm. and then that, that morphed into like the first Unitarian church or whatnot. Cause like, I think maybe there just wasn't, part of it was there wasn't venues they didn't let there was not um, there was enough small venues to to host punk shows you know like in the city they often you went to like the suburbs to, to like a vfw hall or like some weird ass club to see bands play um and so maybe um that was part of it when like my generation started doing all these warehouse shows and then you know, got the church basement thing going at the Calvary Church in West Philly, then eventually First Unitarian Church. And then like the smaller venues, sort of, you know, more legit venues. As also, cities also got this revival starting, I mean, in the early 2000s, you know, where like gastro pubs and tattoo parlors and breweries became like normal in every city, but also small venues became more. So and Philly benefited from that. And which is, you know, it's hard to have a, bunch of bands if there's a place to play although philly well you know I mean, philly always had this but one thing that makes philly different than like new york or chicago is people actually live in houses right mm -hmm. we have mm -hmm. um the row houses but we we have basements and you can have a basement show here um but you know we have the most residents living in like attached houses right um of any city the um, other cities have more apartments like new york and chicago and other you know they most a lot of those people live in apartments but we actually live for the most part in in free state and not free i mean in row houses but they have basements so you can have a band playing in a basement so that was where a lot of the shows were but but um because we weren't able to have them in a in just all these clubs these small bars these like shitty places will let you know maybe the shows were too violent or whatnot i'm not sure in mm -hmm. the 80s but they just or they just you know they believe like the Quincy punk hype or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And they, they just assumed, you know, which is crazy. It's like, this is Philadelphia. Like, why would you like your regular crowd is going to be horrible. Like, why would you assume <laughs> that like punk is going to be even worse? Well, that's the other thing that you kind of brought up earlier. It's like, it's one of the hardest cities. Um, you know, and once again, like you're saying it, it might've changed, but it's certainly in my experience there, there, there was always like a tension in philadelphia that i don't know i didn't really feel in like other american cities and and like you're saying there's like a real like history of violence that shows or or not necessarily even violence that shows just like 
walking down South Street and some like guy in a mummer's outfit will knock someone out like just randomly or some shit. Like it feels like it's a city with an edge. Yeah. But you know, interesting. I feel like, like, so actually, you know, I actually grew up in the city. I'm not from the suburbs, Mm -hmm. you know, of Philly. I'm from the city. And it was an interesting phenomenon growing up where my parents, my curfew was so weird. I could be like, I'm going to West Philly or, you know, University City, you know, near, near the colleges, um, or I'm going to like Center City and I'm going to go to a party. I probably won't be home till five in the morning. Yeah. And they'd be like, sure. But if I was like just hanging out in my neighborhood, my parents would be like, we want you home by 11. Because like, <laughs> you know, I, I could, I, and while my friends in the suburbs, it was the opposite. Like they could just hang out with you know, there's houses in the suburbs to whatever they wanted. But if they went to, the city they had to be back by certain time but you know it's because i could get into is there wasn't any kind of trouble like i couldn't get into around the corner from my house that i could get into downtown in fact downtown is you know much more like especially like south street there's so many cops down there you know mm-hmm. trying to that it was often safer in a lot of ways you know like mm-hmm. um then then you know, my neighborhood, you know, my neighborhood was inherently more dangerous to me anyway, because if you weren't rolling with a bunch of dudes, like you would often just get jumped um, for just no reason. So, you know, I just never once I got to a certain age um, and I could take, you know, the, the trolley in the in the in the L, I would just not hang out in my neighborhood anymore because it was just too dangerous. Like, it's not like, you know, I'm not trying to make it out like it was like this open air drug gunfights. It's just like bored teenage kids that would just just jump you know smaller groups of people or single by yourself you would you literally run the risk if you're by yourself or in a small group and you went to certain street corners and you you had a really good chance of getting jumped yeah you get for no reason yeah and it was just that was just how it was so you just never but you know at one point i did make some friends up in you know near my neighborhood or whatever and we, we hung out sometimes around, but we were all like, you know, six foot tall, give or take, and 200 some pounds. So no one, we weren't really, you know, at that point. And also once I got to full grown, I, was, I wasn't, I was big enough that I, I would be a handful. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so it kind of, it kind of subsided a little bit, you know, it, I mean, the last time I got jumped, there was four of them. They had a, a two by four, um, yeah. but, but like, I didn't, you know. I, I, but I still, I didn't go down and didn't know what to do next. They, I think they had a plan. They were going to knock me down and then stop me. But when I didn't go down, they got confused and I just squared up and I was against the wall and they, no one wanted to come in ne- next to, you know, to get punched. And like, yeah. you know, the next person was going to get, I was going to hit the, the next guy that came near me and none of them wanted to be that guy. So they just kind of like stood around until a car came and they ran off. But I, I did ask him, I was like, why are you doing this to me? Like, Cause you have green hair. I mean, you're, you're attacking me with a, I didn't measure the wood, but uh, I mean, it was a big piece of wood they got from a trash pile. You know, two yeah. by four is likely the size, but I mean, they're going to assault somebody with a weapon um, four on one because he has green hair. I'm like, yeah. And it was crazy is uh, I was walking home from work. I was working as a landscaper. It was like one of the only days I, I forgot my buck knife. And I would have been completely justified to shank one of those motherfuckers. Four or one with a two by four and a buck knife. I mean, I would I mean I still probably would have gone to 
G out for at least for the night or whatever, but well, you know, I might have. Well, sorry, I mean to cut you off. No, no it's, I, it's wild to me that like, you know, and that's one thing that you hope has gotten better and probably would have gotten better by now, but just like the, the fear of anything different that existed then to the point that if you had green hair, you were risking getting assaulted. Yeah. And this is another Philadelphia thing. You know, when I came home and told my dad what happened, what do you think he said? Don't dye your hair green. No. He goes, do you think you, do you think the two of us could take him? Is this getting a car? Oh my God. And we drove around looking for him. <laughs> Cause my, my, you know, my dad was a fire was a firefighter, you know, yeah. like he, he could probably, you know, between me and him, I'm sure he could. Cl- and you know what? If my dad clobbered, if we cl- if, if he clobbered a bunch of these, you know, 17 year old kids, the cops wouldn't have done shit yeah. then. And, you know, they would have been like, we, you know, and, you know, I bet you their parents would have been like, you deserved it. You jump somebody, you, you know, you <laughs> like, why are you jumping somebody? Or the dad might have beat him when he got, you know, himself, Yeah, you know, or my dad and his dad would have gotten a fight. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was going to be an escalation either way. Yeah. Uh, were there, like, what were some of the early bands that you were getting into locally back in like 91? Like, who were some of the, like, you know, I know there weren't a lot, but were there any Philly bands that you were kind of gravitating to? Well, um, so Violent Society, mm-hmm. um, I mean, they were like, you know, they were the Bucks County, but you know, to everybody else, they're a Philly band. Um, I don't know if any member of Violent Society ever actually lived in the city of Philadelphia, <laughs> but I'm sure at some point they had a few members, but Violent Society, um, there's always a staple. Um, and they're great because they're just like, you know, they're like, it's funny. I feel like Violent Society, if they came out now, and literally their records then, like were like hand drawn with like, like, like they look like these records now of these bands that like intentionally, intentionally make bad looking album co- hand drawn record covers, <laughs> yeah. and like they literally were one of those bands, but legitimately, but good, and they're like. They're kind of like the casualties were like, I joke that the casualties were like the, the best American burning spirits, like Japanese Harker band. Like, like they're one of those bands that like had like that, like more like, you know, pogo punk aesthetic, but like they sound like a fast Harker band, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. So like they kind of like crossed that line, you know? Um, but the, so our society, you know, was a staple. Um, the dead milkmen were like going to church for us. Because everybody came out to see the Dead Local when they played, um, the truck would sell out, and everybody would go see them. Um, so that was like our big band. Honestly, was like the, obviously the Dead Milkman, and but there was like I'm trying to remember there was these other bands that were playing in Philly, but they were kind of like I don't know, like scum rock kind of like, oh, like you know, Rancid Vat and stuff. Yeah, exactly, Rancid Vat, and kind of remember those other bands. Like they were playing. That was the scene I was not interested in. Um, so I'm trying to think like who, what local bands, like, uh, like, would like bad luck, I guess bad luck comes later on, but like, would they have been a band that crossed over between the two worlds a little bit? This is the thing about Philly is like everybody, like the people in the bands and the people putting on shows were all friends or a lot of us were friends with each other. So, you know, we might've gone see, you know, like I was almost, I wasn't well, I mean, I would call Jamie a friend of mine, you know, um, 
so I guess I'm fr friends with one person from Bad Luck, but like, our, you know, like we might be friends, you know, with the the, the members might be friends with us, but like, and we might go see them, you know, I never saw them play that I know, but like, oh, actually I think I did, I forget now. Um, but like, but like lots of the, the movers and shakers would go to each other's shows and be and support each other. You know, like, mm -hmm. like, you know, Robbie Red Cheeks, you know, my, you know, him. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like he's a very good friend of mine, you know? And like, so like, um, you know, and again, like Pat from Vile Society, like I, I wrote it for Vile Society, you know, um, for, on, on a tour. Um, but, uh, you know, like a lot of like, we would go see each other's bands and support each other, but not necessarily like, I don't know how much fans would be of each other's music otherwise, but you know, we would definitely, there was a lot of like camaraderie that way. Mm -hmm. um, but the shows might not have been diverse or the audiences shared, but the, the people who actually did the shows I felt were pretty, but for me, like it was like what Philly really got going was with the sucks. Okay. Yeah. Do you, do you know about the sucks? Yeah, I do. And it's funny because I want to bring this up to you and I, and I think it applies to the dead milkman too. And certainly applies to like the, the Hooters and even like Gilly from philly but the idea that there's like bands that get popular in philadelphia like it was one of these scenes where like stuff could get immensely popular in that city and not necessarily translate in the same way like even though dead milkman had hits you know on the alternative charts and were popular in other places like it seems like like you were saying it's it's something different in philadelphia with that band yeah but i do i do think i do think they were different like i don't know about i don't know how many bands they were actually huge in Philly. I think there's definitely bands that were bigger outside of Philly, you know, mm. uh, too. But like, I just think Dead Milkman were, for a lot of us, because they, they kept playing. They mm. it were it was like they played and then went away. They were consistently playing. They were known more nationally. They were around, um, and I think they just were like, um, I think they were special because, again, we didn't have i mean a they were special themselves but we, we didn't really have any other bands to, to celebrate um and it was like a low point for punk but like everybody it wasn't just punks it would be like the goths and the industrial mm -hmm. kids like mm -hmm. just the college radio weirdos you know like you know it's all these punk adjacent people that like they didn't know where else they didn't have anybody else to hang with so they hung up with punks it's just random weirdos and i would love to like have a book about just like these random people that like weren't really that into punk but like they had nowhere else to hang out with you know yeah yeah the punk adjacent people i guess it's like that person you're describing with the neubotten shirt and the and yeah. the like military pants and the combat boots back then that was just like into shit <laughs> like whatever it might be yeah they would listen to like dead kennedys and then like what scraping yeah. feet off the wheel and like you know like yeah that shit exactly and it's funny because it's like it's like where did they all go like that's just like one culture like that and kind of like the funky side of hardcore where the guy would have like the floppy hat which i guess you see a little bit in early pearl jam but yeah. like it feels like that type of person just fell off the face of the earth at a certain point well I, yeah i also want to know where like the like giant black knit sweater and like stripy tight girls went yeah i guess there's like a moment where all these people aged out of it and the style just like disappears yeah because it's just not gone forever. Um, you know, the other thing I also I noticed with like, oh yeah, no, actually back to Dis Sucks, because 
to me they're a band that like I, I knew about but like to hear you describe them as being like one of the bands that changes things in philadelphia like i had no idea they were that impactful De- de- definitely and it's also coincided with was the big was the the warehouse team but specifically Stalock 13 mm-hmm. um so like Stalock because the, the other warehouses on lancaster avenue which is funny by the way i was listening to sam mcfeeder's interview and um so i missed the nausea born again show in philly because i didn't understand like so i someone told me that nausea born against were playing and I was like, where they're like, they're like on Lancaster, which once you became in the know, it meant like there's three warehouses or two or three or at times only two, then became three warehouses, like basically on the same block on Lancaster Avenue in West Philly that had shows. And all I had to say was it's on Lancaster and you just show up to that block and one of those venues, one of those warehouses, you know, would be having a show. So they said on Lancaster, on, La- uh, on Lancaster. And I, I thought they said in Lancaster and I'm like, well, how the, how the hell am I going to get 70 miles away? <laughs> right. For a show. And so I, you know, I, but I, I could have, you know, I could have just taken a trolley and gone to see, you know, two of the greatest bands ever. And, and I mean, I'm a fan of born against, but nausea to me is like, you know, top five favorite bands ever. Maybe, you know, one of such so, a legendary kind of like those two bands playing together. It's just like such such a perfect double bill for an era. Yeah, I feel like um for me and like what I'm into, like and like my my world, like it's like you can kind of divide up like what the like this seems a bit broader, but like it's like you were either like there's four bands from that era that like you one of them was like your band and kind of like set the tone for like the rest of the bands you're into. And it was like life's blood board against Rorschach and nausea. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And it, it was like, um, so I love all those, all, all those bands are great, but it's like, you know, it's like one of those, you know, there was like the four bands from the, the ABC to Rio slash North Jersey scene that like, you know, um, and it kind of says it's the rest is a little bit in there too, but mm. I think they're kind of like, you know, you could kind of swap life's blood and, and citizens arrest out maybe, you know? Yeah. Um, but like, um, there was like four or five bands. It was like, that was like, you know, that kind of defined what, like, you know, one of those bands was like, you put on a pedestal and kind of like set the tone for like, what else you listen to for me, it was nausea and I was super into crust, you know? Yeah. So, I think nausea would be a band that would be like unbelievable to read like a whole book about or a documentary. Like the fact that here's a band that connects, you know, like crust stuff and to like the born against stuff to like, they're on comps with like youth defense league and, and playing shows obviously with the AF and it's just like, well, yeah. Cause Amy was had a baby with Roger Mary with Roger. Yeah, exactly. And like, and I think even someone from Fred Armisen's first punk band winds up playing briefly in nausea too. So it's like this, and, like massive octopus, and they hold up. Mm-hmm. They're so. I mean that you know, the Cybergas Savage and Extinction is just so good. I did a nausea cover band for Halloween, uh, like five years ago. That's um, awesome, <laughs> it, dude. The lineup was sick. Um, so um, Derek Moore, who was in like Scarlet Letter, and he's just been a bunch of bands he's now on citizens arrest but he's all he's a monster x at one point he was in 97a he did all these bands in fact i hung out with him today um um he 
he came by where I work for lunch because I work in the woods, so he brought his dog by. Um, but anyway, so he was drummed. Um, and then, so Nicole from, from Enriquez from Witch Hunt was, did Amy. I was, you know, Al, Al slash Neil. And then John Baisley from Baroness was on guitar. Oh, that's and awesome. Nicole's husband, you know, um, played bass. But yeah, it was like, like hilarious. It was so fun. And dude, it was, those, I mean, listen to the songs over and over again. And you're like, these are really good songs, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Did Stalag have how many like locations did Stalag have as like a space? Because I I went I played there. Well, I didn't play there. I I was roading for the Swarm when they played there in '98. Was it like in different? And then I think I went back with Ruination, and maybe it had changed names, but I I could swore it was like in a completely different location when we went back in like 2000. Okay, so tech. I mean, it was one space, so it was it was crazy. Um. So there was the three warehouses, Kill mm-hmm. Times, Stalag, and Fake House. And 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 Stalag was by far the most prolific. We probably did more shows than his other two combined. And um I mean we did like 15 shows a month as uh, at one point. And uh, but we got shut down. Um and it's probably because of Kill Times fault, because someone else was doing like a, a weekend fest at Kill Time. They were a little bit bigger in size. Okay. Um, but the the thing is is like the residents at like kill time and fake house were more like artsy people. They weren't like, they're like punk adjacent people. Right. Mm-hmm, or like mm-hmm. older, like kind of got out of it. punk, But, but we were like super into it. So we were, we did way more shows and it was, um, but the other warehouse did was been a big festival. And it like, it's going to be like, you know, five, 600 people every night for like a whole weekend. And it went to, and the shows went super late. They went to like two in the morning. And so when we got busted, um, which is crazy because we were on the same block as a police station. So it wasn't the police. It was like license inspection or some, somehow we got on the radar of the right people. Mm. And, but I think they, they came and it was like, was it from, from Ashes Rise and Spaz on 151? I forget. How, um, but there wasn't that many people in there. It was like 50 people. And they're like, where you're breaking, you know, fire club. We're like, no, we're not. There's only 50 people here. They're like, yeah, but by two, by one in the morning, there'll be 500. And we're like, oh, and it was the the next weekend after that that festival. So I think that I think they came for the other other warehouse and shut us down. But um, so anyway, so when it got shut down, like it was a big deal because we were like the venue in Philadelphia oh, like, yeah. at the time, which is crazy. I mean, like the get up kids played there, you know, like mm-hmm. Jimmy Eat World played there. Like it was like nuts. Like so we were like the like and so it got like. It like went all through these message boards and this guy who was like, um, so I don't know. I mean, you probably know Sean Agnew, right? Absolutely. Yeah. He's one of my, you know, oldest, best friends. Um, and so, but he, you know, so I, at this point, Salah, he became a partnership more or less like in terms of with me and Andrew Martini from Limperist. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also into sucks, by the way. Andrew's one of my best friends. He was literally a groomsman in my wedding. And like, um, so he, um, so Andrew and I were both in bands though. Well, I was, I was just starting Rambo when it got shut down, but Andrew was in Kill the Man of Questions and stuff. And so we got, when Sean got shut down and Sean was actually into like, I think I just got a computer. Sean was a message board kid. So yeah. people reached out and was like, Hey, I want to, this guy from Penn, the University of Pennsylvania, um, 
real estate was like, Hey, I want to, I want to, can you get me, can you put me in touch with the Stalag people? I would like to maybe give them a place to do shows on Penn campus. Um, but a, the information came through Sean because he was on the internet, but also Sean had much more wider taste than Andrew and I. And if we're going to get a venue where we could actually like be legit, like it made sense to have someone who booked shows for bands other than, you know, like <laughs> his hero is gone and like yeah. harem scarum, you know, like it would have been like, you know, like a no brainer. So, so we did, we, and we jokingly called it Stalag 2000. Right. But, yeah. but someone, two things happened. I think some their pen was mad at the name because it is named after a, a Nazi prison camp, you know? Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, and also I think one of their kids, someone from Penn's board or whatever got kid got into heroin and they blamed it on like the punks. So they like tried to kill it. So we were at, we we're at this place. We call it Salah. We call it Salah a thousand. And then, it was like a disaster for like a year. They had us between two different venues and eventually got, I mean, to listen to the veil, I mean, Tim interview, like literally we, we got locked. We had a veil play. We, we got locked out of the venue and the, the people at Penn were like fighting with each other. They're like, they, they're allowed to have this show and the, and the other people at Penn locked us out. So we're like, we can't deal with this, you know? Yeah. So yeah. we, we, we stopped doing shows there and did it at, uh, at, um, first Unitarian church. And eventually, you know, Sean got, a group together and they got union transfer and a lot of stuff went, you know, most things went there rather. You know. But um, yeah, that was, it was crazy. But yeah, so Zalag was around for just about four years. Um, and it's, you know, in on Lancaster Avenue, but like the last three years were just ridiculous with how many, how many shows there were. Yeah. Like it was, you know, and like, once again, I think it's a failing of, of the city of Philadelphia not to see this as being something that could have been, and was, you know, ultimately culturally very significant, but like you're saying, it was the venue, like it was the Gilman verging on like almost like a CBGB's a little bit for Philadelphia in the sense that like every show was there, like every DIY hardcore show or anything in even that universe was there. Yeah. I mean, even sometimes like in the, like more like indie hip hop stuff, like, you know, like some like kind of, I mean, we get like, asked to do all kinds of shows because we're like the only place to play you know mm -hmm. um and and will... you know we we try to accommodate it but like this i was also kind of nerve-wracking because you're like man this band's asking for a guarantee and hot towels and like we're literally <laughs> illegal like we are out we are an illegal venue yeah it had it had i'm gonna say like the one of the worst toilets i've ever seen in my life someone shit beside the toilet that day oh man was, I'll never forget, like, I, like after a Converge show, like, Kurt, I see Kurt, like, coming back from the back, like, wet with a towel. And I was like, <laughs> did you just take a shower? He's like, yeah. He said, it was great. There was a broken 40 bottle in there. And I'm like, I don't even shower here. <laughs> I, like, would go over, because Andrew lived around the corner in, like, a decent house. I would go shower at Andrew's house. Yeah. Yeah. So... <laughs> When did when did Stall like first like when did you, the show start happening there at first like ninety so one? No, I think it was ninety six to ninety nine. So, okay, ninety six you know, to ninety nine. So what were the so, warehouse spaces before like where that Born Against Nausea show would have been like different names I guess back then? Yeah, Fake House and Kill Time. Yeah. Oh, um, that was the Kill Time. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Then. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. That. Uh, yeah. Like it's it's. I don't know. It's so fascinating how 
you know, because there is no venue, you get this ingenuity to like find unique spaces. But like later on during the indie rock explosion, you know, R5 and in particular, Sean become such figureheads of this sort of like approach to booking in general and booking period. And it almost, you know, it's, it's once again, something that's born out of ingenuity that becomes like, uh, you know, a way of doing things on a, on a mainstream yeah. level at a certain point. Well, it's funny how, you know, we're talking about, um, we're talking about why Philly didn't get it's like no, seen, you know, known until like the mid late nineties, early two thousands. Mm-hmm. I'm saying how people would leave, like people would literally like, you know, move to other I mean, people would move, move to Richmond. They're basically what any scene, you know, before like the revival of the big cities, um, a lot of uh, punk would kind of move to like whatever city had a happening scene. You know, mm-hmm. it could be Richmond. It could be like a weird college town in like Minnesota or some shit. Just like where you know, where you know Bloomington, Indiana. You know what I mean? Like just like wherever there was like something happening, because where there was like a bunch of bands playing regularly or whatever, people would move. There's tons of people move to the Bay Area, or whatever. Um, and Sean didn't end up moving until recently. He lives in Los Angeles, so he still books in Philly. But you know, Bring It came out I don't know 17 years ago. And the song on the song on there called "The Curse of Philadelphia," and it was about like every about how like everybody would leave, and mm-hmm. like we were like our generation were like we're the first group that like stayed to make stuff happen in Philly, and it was about Sean. He he ended up moving. He was thinking of moving to Chicago at the time. I think someone was offering to book a club out there, so I wrote a song kind of like about him, like not like I'm mad at my friend. It was just like. I love you to death and you're leaving. And it's kind of like emblematic of the problem of Philly. It's like, we get stuff going to a point and then like things leave. Like, and you know, like it was like, not like a diss song. It was like more like a love letter to my friend, but like as like a metaphor for like what's happening in Philly in general, like we're just cursed. And like, I feel like we've kind of overcome that um, since then, you know, and we, he did leave, but physically, but, because of the internet, he still books the shows in Philly, so he really hasn't left, either, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, well, and I know you're like, really good buddies with Andy Nelson, and he's oh, the yeah. same thing. He lives in Los Angeles, but books shows in Philly. I tell you, it's that it's like you're saying, it's that late-in-life brain drain, I guess, that starts happening or something. Well, I guess also it's changed now, right? Like, it's not it, – it doesn't feel as as regional and as local as it used to be. Like, you know, like you're saying, Tim, Tim Barry was talking about, like, the disappearance in accents and, like yeah. – you know, it's funny because people criticized Drake in the very beginning because his music didn't sound like it necessarily came from just Toronto. Like he was bringing in influences from all over the place. And I think that's just happened culturally now because of the Internet. Like we're exposed to everyone's exposed to the same culture. Definitely. Um, before I forget, here's a little f- uh, fun, funny tidbit. Uh, take a g- guess who I rented pa systems before we got our own um who would i hire to bring a pa system and set it up for style lectures occasionally who eric warheim what i was gonna i was gonna bring up ink and dagger and we were gonna get to eric Warheim. that's amazing well because he had a loft space right that he was doing shows at i think so so like um you know there's a whole like like the whole like crud is a cult and like the beginnings of ink and dagger and everything. There's a, there's a whole other scene of like these, like 
and Robbie was a big part of that. Like the first time I met Robbie Redcheek, which was like, there was like a bunch of different bands playing at uh, Drexel. Drexel has the college radio station that lots of, lots of punks had show on WKDU. So um, they would often have, this have shows with a bunch of different bands playing often very eclectic. And we're at one of those shows. And like, I think probably because um, maybe, I think I hate you might've been playing that show as well as like some like, crusty punk band that like was having me on tour we got it on there but like the first time i met robbie reggie it's like literally like someone a football landed in my lap and then like <laughs> then robbie tackled me you know like so like like rob like you know that whole like jackass culture like you know yeah. like yeah they're just the ones that got famous like that was a whole thing back then and like and and like um so like robbie and those guys were they're all part of that i mean you're talking about I think you're talking about the like one of the people who were harassing earth crisis it was it was I think Sean from Make a Dagger but it was like with the yoga I think that was him but like yep that's what I've heard um that that they all lived in a house like kind of like on the north side of downtown and they they would just always like prank each other and like steal stuff and like get in trouble and that was like you know so Eric was like part of that whole scene um and again it was like you know it was like, like, I don't know how you describe it, like, like highbrow post youth crew bands. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, um, like they're a little bit like more musical. They're like, I don't know. Like it's, they're it's like, let's go on. Sorry. Uh, I, it was basically like people that like grew up with youth crew, but the like fell in love with Swiss. Yeah. You know, yeah, that totally. kind of scene. And it's, it's weirdly the, this type of person that emerges and like yeah you're right jackass is one manifestation of it but then it's also like kind of the birth of the vice hipster where these were like post straight edge post hardcore kids that were getting into different stuff and, and cool stuff but also like still had that like hardcore need to be a dick sometimes to people and like it's interesting when you look at you know that sort of vibe pops up all over the place like and it became like bands almost becoming negative as opposed to being positive yeah 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 um that's a shame you know um i don't know what would become ink and dagger but you know th again that was you know a band that kind of transcended a bit you know they were just that good mm -hmm. you know and so we all you know i mean they played stylog you know and they it, like sean would be like um, like, yo, I had a really distinctive voice. Um, his singing voice wasn't that much of an affect, you know, like, um, like he really did kind of almost like talk like that. Um, and, uh, I just remember him like, like, yo, we want to play, I'm, we want to play with the sucks, you know, like we want to play with the crustiest <laughs> band you got, you know, Yeah. it was, he was cool, you know? Um, yeah. Rest in peace. Cause, yeah. uh, like really, uh, like you're saying like a band that, at the time, uh, like they were definitely, you know, there's those wild photos. I weren't at, wasn't at these shows, but you can speak to them where like kids were dressed up like vampires in the crowd. Like much in the same way Rambo kind of like has it now where kids come dressed up and ready to kind of like play along. But you see these photos of these Ink and Dagger shows in Philadelphia where the crowd was just into it. Yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. I remember, I remember the day like I was literally on South Street. Um, with sean um sean uh, not sean um mccabe sean 
We Sean Agnew. It's funny. I always call him Sean Ardmore. His nickname. He's from this suburb. This little small, more like a small town that happens to be just outside Philly rather than a suburb. You know. But yeah. Called Ardmore. So we used to call him Sean Ardmore. But Sean Agnew. We and him were hanging out, and then, and Robbie Reggie comes up to us and breaks the news that uh um, that Sean died. Sean McCabe definitely a dagger, and you know, and Sean. Agnew was a lot closer with him than I was, but I also his buddy, you know what I mean? I would give him a hug and be stoked to talk to him, you know? And, um, and it was crazy. I, I had a, um, um, I had torn my, I was a bike messenger at the time and I tore my ACL and meniscus and I was, had my foot in a immobilizer and I actually, uh, ended up taking a, a cab home, which is, you know, rare because I had no money to be taking a cab, but I ended up taking a cab home that day. And Sean McCabe's tag was in the cab. Really? Like, yeah. I just found I died to get a cab, and his tag was in the cab. Like, I was like, I mean, unless it was someone else using it, it was weird. It was like the weirdest coincidence ever. That is very, like, that's one of those weird cosmic things. Yeah. It makes I mean, you kind of like, I don't know. It, one of those things that I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but like, and I'm not a religious person, but I find stuff like that when it happens, it really does bring comfort in a weird way. It does, but also like, man, if the universe can make shit like that happen, can it make things that actually matter? Very true. But I'm like, oh. but I was like, this is so weird. You know what I mean? I'm like, how, like, how? Yeah, you know, I'm not that. I'm like, shouldn't this be a sign from someone closer than him? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I just like knew him from around, but yeah, that was that was weird. Um, yeah, you know. that is very. But that, um, yeah, because they're and it also ink and dagger in general. Like, it it brings up like a point. Uh, there's this almost theatrical tradition in punk rock in Philadelphia, uh, which you, you know, and it's not necessarily like there's always theatrics in punk, but I mean like an actual like theatrical visual presentation to a show. And there's like a bunch of bands, even like bad luck, you know, in, in a way is, yeah. and, and it's more like Ether turnbuckle now, especially like the way they approach shows where the show isn't just about, the music that you're going to play it's about how you play that music and how you present that music to the people in the show and then in turn the crowd really gets behind these bands you know rambo included and becomes part of the show you know it's interesting you say that because i hadn't really thought about that as like one of the reasons rambo became what it did but um that is kind of true um like you know, Ruin even like would play with like they wore like all white shirt, like button down shirts, and had like candles and stuff. Mm. And like, um, and I know they weren't from Philly, but like Crash Worship would play mm. Philly and had this like cult following, you know, in Philly. Um, also like Missing Foundation w- had this huge following in Philly, and they did like video and stuff. Uh, so was, maybe there's like inherent like appreciation in philly that i, I just t- kind of like took for granted and just kind of like ran with and didn't even really think about it. it was just like in there but there's this band it was a band of people who were wkdu djs my old friend john paul um galaski who i ended up li- i lived in his house with him and sean agnew briefly but he was a band called direct merchants and they they were like i never saw him play but i just knew of them um they weren't necessarily even like punk. They were again like weird, like almost like industrial, like punk adjacent. And but their whole thing was like more about like the spectacle. And they would, they're all engineering students that would make like robots and like 
smoke machines and stuff. Oh, that's so, awesome. It, so like, I think maybe I just kind of like, it was just kind of like, this is a thing we do in Philly is kind of have a bit of a theatrical thing. And then I just ran with it for with Rambo. Um, but mostly we'll, the whole theatrical thing with Rambo was to make fun of tragedy. <laughs> like, um, cause they're like, you know, our super good buddies. Um, but they're just like, so Andy, you, who you got to have on the show at some point, Andy Wheeler, he's the guy that, you know, he's a guitar player, rabbit who writes all the music, but he's the guy that Joe Maganello mentioned yeah. about the cinematographer, so, his, his buddy from Pittsburgh. I definitely got to get him on the show at some point. That is, I was yeah. going to bring that up. And he's, a um, he just shot a, um, he just shot a movie, uh, with Michael Shannon. And like, oh, wow. and, he, and Michael Shannon's super in the punk. And, yeah, and, I've heard that too. It's like, well, that's one of the things I've come to realize. Like anyone that's cool in popular culture is at least punk sympathetic or they were into hip hop. But like, there's like, there's no one in pop culture that grew up thinking that, you know, the, everything that was happening in the mainstream was fucking awesome. And there's no need to look into the margins for anything. Like, I, I know it just comes up more and more uh more and more times i find yes so andy and so wheels you know Andy wheeler like he moved to um philly from pittsburgh mm -hmm. um for art school for you know uh film school and he had friends um that in art school that but, but art school is also just like half the art schools in the punk right so um so he's no lot of art school kids anyway at least back in the day we did um and um but so these like Justin Gray and, and a couple of these other like um, our school friends of Andy's who became friends with all of us hang out style all the time. Um, like tragedy, he just put out that record with the whole like, you know, that sample and it's like technology is racing ahead of our ability to control it. But like, I mean, literally like those guys, like I remember like hanging out with them and somewhere and Todd needed to use the phone and like, <laughs> And he picked up the phone and like someone was on the internet and he was like really confused. He had no idea what was happening. He's like, yeah. like they were, they were kind of like, I mean, they're not now. I mean, like they were kind of like a bit like Luddites, you know? Um, but like, we just loved, I mean, they're such wonderful people, but they really were like these like feral, like alienated weirdos from Memphis that like, you know, had to play a whole lot of catch up with social graces. Um, <laughs> You know, and they did condense them, but yeah, I, I love. I mean, they're wonderful, but we were, oh, you know, because yeah. I was friends with them from his heroes gone days. I, you know, because we did they played lots of shows, I did lots of shows for them, and you know, the whole like East Coast thing where every all the cities are so close to each other that you would just like, if you weren't hopped in their their van themselves, you would just be like, you know, you just catch them from like city to city, you know, and I was super, you know, good buddies with them and. We're playing a show with them, um, with Caven too. It was like it was a kill time because Salah got shut down by that point. But it was like I think it was Caven, it was Tragedy, Caven, Rambo. I think Euclid or someone else played. I forget. Um, but so I, I was like, why don't we make giant moshing robots? And I'll just say like the whole thing was like Tragedy hate, hates technology, but we think technology can bring good things to our lives. So I, I 
present to you the moshing machines and purely just to make fun of tragedy. And sometimes like a couple of times, like I, I played a show with them and like, I've had, it's like giant, like Palm pilot and like a <laughs> giant, like, like pager or I mean, a giant cell phone. Like, and just like, I don't know. I would just do that. It was just, I think there were just like this presence of like, I don't know. Like well, it's they were so like- weird to, they were the biggest band. Like they were like the Led Zeppelin to DIY hardcore, especially at that point. Yeah. But. It... And there was cool too. Like Yannick is one of my favorite human beings in the world. Yeah. I think Todd, you know, like is, is amazing. Like Todd is someone I would love to read a, a biography, an autobiography from, or once again, see a documentary about, because he's just like, I don't know, just like such a creative genius when it comes to this music and someone that like, like he lived with Sweet Pete from In My Eyes. Like how, how I got to read a whole book about that one day. I hope. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're they're legit. Like they're not, you know, like I know, like what what did like Felix or somebody jokingly call that scene? Like the Stadium the, Crust was that his the one? Stadium Crust, but also like MySpace Crust oh, or whatever. MySpace like, Crust, yeah. Like like them and from Ashes, you know, definitely like got you know people into that you know were into the work you know um and they, there was a kind of aesthetic too where like the people who listen to those bands like their their aesthetic was a bit more put together you know mm-hmm. like well like i don't know like after Otten played there would be like dudes with like you know cut off army shorts with like combat boots and like goatees you know what i mean like yeah. And like sudden vests would be that kind of looking dude, and just like and crusty punks that were just like kind of like you know patches on top of passages and like with soda with white dental floss, and but like the the like tragedy from Ashes fans often really like you know minimalistic kind of well like studded vest, but like they're not too crazy and kind of like. Not, you know, not too many patches. They were had kind of like almost like not those guys, but like their fans almost kind of had this like look about them that was a bit more like put together. I don't know how to describe it. It was like, like clean crust almost. Yeah. And, um, um, but, but I don't know. It was just like weird to be in a band at the same time with them because, like, um, de- you know, I would say like in some ways, you know, uh, tragedy is like the biggest influence of Ramble, but not in terms of like, wanting to sound like them more just like the bar they raised and like you know and like songwriting and like and knowing that you could get a good recording you know a hundred percent like a hundred percent agree with you yeah but and being like close friends with them it was weird because like i knew them and i know they're sincere but i don't know i just didn't understand how you how you could like get in front of a crowd and like 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 make your voice no one sounds like cookie monster naturally (laughs) you know yeah so like how do you like get up there and like put on you know like like pick which muppet you want to sound like and then like look at the audience with a straight face and talk about all the shit you went through like i don't know like i just never could like switch into that zone you know and and like but like i would see these other people do it and like i was like are they really in this zone or is this like are they putting these on like so like i just kind of with rambo i was like I can't not be funny because I like, this is too ridiculous. Like I feel so weird doing this that it would be, it's like, it's just kind of a, like, 
how do I not laugh at it? Like, how am I not like aware that I'm sounding like a, a Muppet and like, and singing about like my problems or whatever. I don't know. Like, it's just like, I felt like the only way I could really express myself was with humor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then like, it just kind of ran with it and because like tragedy was like this, like, you know, when we play with him, whatever is like, I got to like poke fun at my friends, you know, like, because I love him so much. And it's kind of like fueled us. And then like, we just ran with it. And next thing you know, like we're playing in like Malaysia and kids are making tanks and, and, you know, like people would do the, theat- we didn't have to bring the theatrics. People would bring the cardboard tanks and, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, robots and stuff everywhere we went. So it was, and, and I'm really surprised in some ways that that, that didn't continue after us. Cause it was so fun to have this like interactive, um, in a, in a way that was also like reaction because we didn't want to be like would like I would never forget um, we played Gilman and the the sound person um, I don't remember her name or whatever but like she got like choked up she was almost in tears she was so shocked because like we played like the show right after Christmas and so we did this like hold it half the band flew home to be with their the people who weren't the people in Rambo who weren't close with their parents mm-hmm. had to fly home for Christmas to, for the illusion that they had, <laughs> they were close, but like me and Andy, um, well, Bull, Bulls just has a weird relationship with his parents, but like me and Andy who are super close to our families, like we didn't fly home because we don't have to pretend like we're close to our family. So, yeah, yeah. so we stayed and made all these theatrics at the MR. We used a garage at the MR house. So we actually were able to have the time to build our own theatrics. We made a whole like nativity scene. Um, and we played with lie. From Japan, so yeah, the three yeah. men in lie were the wise men, and <laughs> and and I think we, I think, and then then the the drummer, I think we made her a sheep, and like and and like um Greg and Greg Daly, Nicole Witch Hunt were out there, and so they were J- Mary and Joseph, and then like and then just random people were like Romans, you know, like you know soldiers. And so, but anyway, we had, we dumpstered all these like Christmas cakes that didn't sell and like threw them in the crowd. So like Gilman was trashed after we were done. And like, um, and we did like, we do every show. Um, oh, normally what we do after every show is we ask the crowd to clean up. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we forgot because it was just so crazy. And so we just grabbed brooms and started cleaning up and like the, the sound, person comes and she's like what are you doing i'm like we're cleaning up we made a big mess and she's like but you're the band and we're like i know but like we're we do this stupid thing and it shouldn't it shouldn't be your problem that we do this thing you know yeah. and she was like i can't she was like i feel like children. i can't believe you're doing that but that's kind of like you know we're like the anti bad luck 13 you know what i mean like <laughs> we're like we we, we want to do this so no one gets hurt and no one think it's messed up i mean great like people got hurt like our last show three people went to the hospital but like from self-inflicted like you know for, i mean well maybe for a philly band like, that's pretty good too right like a philadelphia yeah. band that's like par for the course but not with from fights from like from you know stage diving also i I've, we maybe shouldn't have made we wanted to make our robots really big for the last show so we made them with a wood frame that was probably not the best idea yeah oh yeah um but like you know so and we just wanted to have wanted to be interactive but not destructive and not violent you know just mm-hmm. and the other idea is how could you be how could you act like a hard ass when like the band is all wearing like like short shorts and like you know and, and i'm wearing like a feather boa and like chaps like 
you know, like it just like you can't. You know, we're 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 like embarrassing ourselves and looking ridiculous, like and not like stoic and hard, you know. So it's like you can't act hard when we're doing that. It was you know, somewhat intentional, um, but mostly it's just like what what's the fun thing we can do, you know? And I and I know like right there you said it, the intention of you and and Bad Luck Thirteen is very different, but. It's another thing that how it's interesting that all these bands like Ink and Dagger, I think as well, because they're they're vampires and, and, and this definitely Dead Milkman get thrown in with. But like the humor that is used by bands from Philadelphia that especially the bands that we're talking about, that are the bands that kind of are well known and reputation gets out or in your case, tours the world uh, and the Dead Milkman, too. But like it's interesting how it's all bands that are pointing out the absurdity of something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I've heard like Bill Burr talk about, you know, um, the like sense of humor of like the Northeast, you know, from like mm-hmm. Philly to Boston. So I think that translates a little bit. I'm not obviously I'm not saying that there's a whole bunch of funny bands from Boston for that matter. But like, I don't know. I mean, like there's definitely like, I mean, there's some goofy ass bands in New York, like, you know, like Murphy's Law and um I'm trying to think. Where, where like is, no redeeming um, social values and stuff. Yeah, like where, that. where's Crucial Youth from? Crucial Youth was from New Jersey. Exactly. So, like, yeah. there is, a, you know, there is a bit of like, of like, a set, just really strong, like, like sense of humor. Like, look at Goodfellas. You know that. You know, like how funny that movie was, even though it was like disturbing. Yeah. You know, like Joe Pesci. Like, there's that kind of mentality and that kind of humor and and it, it, i think is especially prominent in philly like you know my dad um was a firefighter for 36 years and just the stories you'd hear about like what went on at the firehouse was just insane and so i think there's i think philly's just kind of a funny city um but with rambo like i didn't like the, the side of it that was like busting like mean-spirited or like you you know you're like you know in philly you know you see your friend you'd be like oh look at this fucking asshole like you know like like you like bustling each other a lot and uh i didn't like that so we i tried to like i'd do the opposite and be like oh my god like look at this specimen you know like <laughs> and you know like like overtly like complimentary about like my friend's attractiveness and their brilliance and like their you know like it you know to turn on his head and be like ridiculous and Rambo was kind of like that like we took the Philly sense of humor but like made it nice you know or well, we'd also like lampoon things we hated like and <laughs> and, and, it, and, and some of that I remember Mel Brooks was talking about that he was saying like in an interview people were like why do you always have Nazis you're Jewish why do you always have Nazis in your in your in your films and he's like because well, I hate Nazis and the best way to like bring them down is like make them look foolish and that stuff's also kind of you know we would just make things be you know we're singing against we would be funny about rather than too serious you know um yeah well at the same time as you're saying that it's not necessarily about ripping on your friends isn't the whole band you just said uh, like a, a rip on tragedy a little bit like ripping on your friends and tragedy yeah but i mean like no i know um it, it, it's so ridiculous that like there's no way anybody can think, you know. Yeah. But I will we will say like 
you never know. Like, um, we played with um, limp wrists. We played, um, and I, I said, I remember at the show, I said, I, I said, I'm gonna out gay limp wrist. I said, I'm gonna make out with a different guy between each song. Yeah, and like, and I did, and then like, I remember like I was staffing the anarchist bookstore, and this woman came in, and was like, um, she started talking. She's like, didn't know she heard. It was at a show, but she heard about it, and she was like, I heard that like Rambo, like the singer, was making fun of Limpers, like belittling them, and I was like, I'm like. That was me, and they're like Andrew's like my best friend. Like I was just being silly, and uh, um, she wasn't that mad. We ended up like hooking up <laughs> that night. Like he wasn't that mad. Like we ended up like dating briefly, but like, um, but still like, like so she, you know, she was like, I heard, she really thought like we were making fun of them. Still, so maybe people do think we were actually had some kind of rivalry with tragedy when really they're like some of our favorite people. We just, you know there it was just funny to like i think because they're so known it's an easy way to like you know people would get the reference right like yeah we're playing with them you know i don't know but well, I, think, I, don't, I think it was so goofy it wasn't i don't think it, it, it could be taken mean spirited but who knows well i think that but i think that's the thing also about humor in punk you find like the more nuanced it is the bigger it gets the more that kind of gets lost on on an audience and like to the point where um um jeff tweedy was on and he was talking about that band white pride from st louis and how to those guys they were just trying to make fun of all the neo-nazi stuff and it was like a a real thing that they were just like like in that mel brooks way you were talking about like they're trying to bring it down by making fun of it but years later here it is being bootlegged by a nazi label and being sold as being a legit authentic documentation of white power music oh, man. you know and it's yeah. like it's one of those things where like the further stuff gets away from it sometimes like the nuance is lost because it is such like a a micro universe we're talking about like we all knew each other or knew about each other before we knew each other because it was such a small thing even though it was you know international yeah very true it makes you think about hard skin right yeah where, like yeah but imagine if Harskin didn't um, keep going when it would have been, you know, it's obviously as they kept going, every, hey, we really got to know them. I'm sure that is documented because they they lasted long enough to go into the Internet era where things are preserved. But also, like, the records got a little bit more ridiculous, you know? Yeah. Um, but did you hear the the Johnny Takeaway guest spot on the new record? Yeah. <laughs> the new record's fucking amazing, by the way. Oh, thank you. It's really yeah. cool. Like, and it's once again, that's the thing about Rambo that's awesome is like it's humorous, but the song's like like the legit rip. Thanks. Yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean that was like that's what I wrote. I was like, I want to make sure you've you've heard it or whatever and seen, you know, the materials from with it before we talk, because I'm like I have listened to your your podcast, you know, and like, and just remembering you actually how much we overlapped and shared. I'm like, there's so much buried in this record that like, yeah. 
not that you know like you would get you know <laughs> like you would get these references and like it's so funny you know, man i'm like for and some of it was, was like cut off you know, we recorded like 24 songs mm-hmm. um and only put 16 on a record and some of the ones that got cut have like the best in jokes and i'm like god damn it like <laughs> you know they're not gonna get <laughs> this person's not gonna get this joke now you know like yeah unless, but like yeah but like so yeah i wanted to like make fun of um you know a lot of this record deals with um you know science and uh you know um we're, we're dealing with an era of like where QAnon happened right and like mm-hmm. the election fraud nonsense happened but like there's you know but people who are like criticizing that and are like being like these conservatives believe this conspiracy theory nonsense you know and they're like well pass me that um quack miracle cure i saw on the internet that like some you know cbd isolate yeah like like (laughs) it's like okay like you know it's just weird how like you could be all high and mighty but these people fall for anything i'm like but you yourself are like you know you believe in like things that like have no scientific value to whatsoever so or you know and and so you know we, we and punk has this rich history of like it's always being anti-science and pete's punk is obviously like where so much of rambo comes from you know and not just you know directly but also you know obviously like the crusty bands that like our, our biggest influence came a direct descendant from peace punk um and but you know i always love like flex pick indians you know had those poems and a lot of those like you know, Doom has poems, you know, and a lot of those bands um, had these like poems. And some of those poems are like anti-science. And I was like, man, I was like, I gotta, I was like, we need a like anti, we need like a, a fake anti-science, you know? And and you know, my whole thing with like how I helped bring Amoebics over um, because I was a kind of like a internet pen pal with the Baron for a little bit. Cause I did Amoeb- besides a nausea cover band. I did an Amoebics cover band uh before that for halloween and so i was involved bringing the the amoebics over i mean greg my partner portless fest and he was the one that did most of the did their tour because i didn't do tours i just did the fest and i actually asked to play the fest but but i i'm the one that kind of spurred them to come over via you know hooked them up with greg and brought him over so i i knew him i know we're writing back and forth but not like a super good friend but when the whole like when everything came to light with his you know Holocaust denial stuff on on the uh, um on um the Tal Cross record. I feel really bad because you know Andy and those guys are, are great people and totally got blindsided by that. I feel really bad. Um, but anyway, like I kind of like I wrote that I wrote the Baron. He didn't respond to me, so I wrote that open letter and then like and then I started like jokingly like trolling him occasionally. You know, like I just think I posted like a meme. He was like put, he was writing some nonsense. I just posted like. I made the the boomer with a computer meme, but like put his face on it, you know? Yeah. Um, and like, but he wrote like something like dig, he's like, you need to dig deeper. And I'm like, and so I literally like in that poem, like I, I took some of his, some of his like semi-threatening DMs or whatever, and like turned it into some of those lyrics, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I mean, it's so ridiculous. Um, well, it's like, it's interesting because I want to talk to you about this too with Peace Punk. I just finished reading that um, Outsider's History of Hardline book. Have you seen that thing? 
No. Oh, you got to get this book. It's yeah. unbelievable. It's uh, it's like this sort of book that no one uh, apparently. Um, uh, I got it at uh, Joint Custody Records. Shout out to Joint Custody. Um, it's written by Phoenix X Eeyore, and it is a outsider's history of Hardline Total Revolution question mark, and it's a kind of like not loving history of Hardline that's just told through. A little bit of the the author writing essays, and then the majority of it is just quotes from different fanzines and different interviews with people over the years, and it is unbelievable. But it's just amazing to kind of look at how, once again, like it, it, coming out of peace punk, so much of this stuff gets misinterpreted or, or maybe interpreted the way the people intended it. But anyway, interpreted in such a way that it's so antithetical to like punk in a lot of ways like they're the pro-life specifically stuff and the yeah the stuff that's like homophobic and and that parts of it especially obviously and like it's just so fascinating how this thing peace punk is just so influential on where it goes but not necessarily always in the best places yeah um absolutely and i'll, I'll you know i'll give you one um nuclear power mm-hmm. right Mm-hmm. I like think about like you know nothing could go wrong by BJK that 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 album cover yeah um and you, you for I know you think this way but like um it was like leftist liberals that were like leading the charge against nuclear power in the seventies right mm-hmm. um and like so in some ways you think about it like. W- the left, the people who are environmental would be the most responsible for climate change because we were, were so scared of nuclear power that we like, we didn't adopt it. And that could have really probably solved the fossil fuel problems, you know? And, and, um, because, you know, we had this hysteria about nuclear power and like nuclear power isn't, you know, we were overly cautious. I think it would have been just fine. You know, we have the waste, but like, so we have, we do have to waste. We got to figure out what to do with it. Isn't that better than like, like flooding Bangladesh, <laughs> you know, like, like, uh, you know, like, uh, um, and, and um, so, but like, again, like it's, you know, there's, you know, we think of ourselves, you know, again, like, I don't like to like, Martin, we're talking about crass. No, was, who was talking about crass in your pocket? Just saying how like, no, it was Barney um, was saying yeah. that Crass is like, we're not left or, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to be apolitical, you know, and I kind of just accept that we're going to be lumped in with the left. So I'll, I'll often call myself a leftist, you know, but like I try not to, you know, think of terms like that, but like the left believes in a bunch of nonsense too, you know, and it's, you know, granted the right is on some other shit these days, but um you know this kind of the point of the record a lot it was like um you know it's you know, the conspiracy theory nonsense goes both ways and there's plenty of people especially a lot of punks way into conspiracy theories you know and you're like dude this is you look what happened with the baron but like um you know you, you start thinking 9 11's a hoax and i think you know your holocaust denier but like there's something to that you know um it's like a drug you keep trying to like i think it's people who I mean, there are papers about it. People who don't, people want want to feel like they they want to feel like they know something that other people don't. 
and it gives them like a rush. It gives them like a little, and so they keep trying to find more of this. And it, it's like they get addicted to to like conspiracy theories, and it can like get the better of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but plenty of people, you know, uh, who know who should know better, just believe a bunch of nonsense. I remember like getting into bird watching. You know, well, I've I've been into bird watching since I was nine, but I didn't know the bird watchers until I was like twenty eight. Because it really wasn't like a thing. And so I couldn't just make bird watching friends. And I hung out only with punks. And I remember like hanging out with some bird watcher friends of mine and saying like microwaves are bad. And they're like, why? And I couldn't tell them. And they're like, they're not bad. I'm like, well, they're bad because all my punk friends say they're bad. I'm like, and I couldn't say, I'm like, shit, are they bad? And then like GMOs, I went to like an anti GMO protest. In fact, I had a like a, protective suit and it said uh, on mine i said you can chemically you can genetically modify these nuts i thought it was hilarious but like i'm like ashamed of it in hindsight kind of because i'm like gmos aren't actually a problem they're a problem in terms of like that you could like the business practices associated with some of them and and like it's not that like you know gmos are if you make it it's not necessarily the genes that make it make something roundup resistant are bad it's the fact that like you because it is roundup resistant that you dump roundup on crops and then like and and poison your workers you know and roundup isn't even that big of a problem in small doses but like when you're just dumping it on fields constantly mm-hmm. including on your people to get this crazy dose like that's the problem but like just genetically modifying something isn't necessarily a problem right um people are like gmos are bad bad them entirely i'm like no like they're not bad entirely some practices associated with them are bad but like it, you know it's just stuff that like people like take for granted they have any thought it through I and mean, most people who believe in climate change couldn't tell you how it happens they just believe luckily they believe the right people the right people but like you know, so that's kind of like what we're trying to talk about a bit with this record. But again, and I feel like the best way to do it is to make, you know, in jokes to, you know, early 80s peace punk. Right. Because I mean, that's clearly the best way to, like, convey your my pro-science message is referencing Flux of Pink Indians seven inches from 1981. <laughs> I think I, I think it's also like, you know, you're someone who's traveled extensively you know rambo's toured probably still to this day probably more than most bands have um you know like just the the places you went are certainly not on the average diy band or even average punk band on any levels tour schedule um and i think it's when you go to places and you travel around and you see the effects of of capitalism and colonialism on a lot of these places and you realize that there's got to be science that's going to provide some sort of solution like you know walking in countries where the whole ground is nothing but plastic bottles because the water supply is so fucked up there that people just have no choice but to drink plastic bottles and there's no garbage pickup so there's just these plastic bottles everywhere and it's like well there's got to be some scientific solution because it's certainly not going to come any other way Uh, yeah absolutely and but also on top of that when you're in a lot of these places and you see that these people generally seem to be happy. Yeah. And you're like, and then like, you know, so many miserable people back home that have everything and you're like, 
it's like, man, like we're fucking over the planet and it's not even making us happier. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? It's yeah. like, it's yeah. like, it's like, we're not even better off. Like, you know, like, like we're just, it's, it's crazy. It's like, we're, you know, we are actually making, we are actually making their lives worse, but a lot of them are still happier than the people here whose lifestyle are making it worse for these other people. You know, it's like, it's, it's, it's crazy. You know, I'm not trying to diminish people's experiences, you know, in, in poverty, but when you see, you know, people in poverty, and you know, but I, mean, I will say, you know, a lot of places we went, these people weren't, you know, weren't, we're staying at like gated communities in Indonesia and stuff. Like mm. a lot, often people in punk are middle class anywhere they are in the world. But with that said, I also, you know, we also stayed in like very austere places and um, and met lots of people. You know that, you know, were had. You know, I don't know how you ju- judge it. The lifestyles almost could be so different. We're like, but that's also it was weird too. Where like you can if the society has is more supportive and has more amenities and has more like um you know a social system that like supports people and like you can also have not that much yourself in terms of like what we would think of like in terms of like material goods or wealth but your your lifestyle is less stressful because you don't have to like hustle either you know but i'm not saying you know um it's just a whole way, different way of living. It's hard for us to like uh, understand because we're so used to, you know, especially in America, where it's like you have access to like so much junk that's cheap, but you don't, you might not have healthcare. You know, um, it's just it's a whole like you know like a lot of like it was a common thing like conservatives will say be like all oh, these poor people in America still have TVs and cell phones, but I'm like they're still yeah, it, it doesn't mean they're not living in poverty and not and not completely stressed because they might not, you know, they might not know, you know, they might get evicted at any time, and that and that's real. They might they might actually not know where their meals coming from next week, even though they have a cell phone. Like it's just it's a completely different way of living that like they, you don't understand in your McMansion in your like Dodge Ram, you know, like um, I, I think. Well, I think, and also in, in present day there's a socialist argument for people having cell phones because sadly the reality is you, you kind of need it to function. You certainly need it to apply for a job. Now you need to get oh. a menu in a restaurant. Yeah. Without, I mean, there's no, like you, you couldn't. Yeah. Like jobs to make, like not only do they like you, not only do you need to have, you need to have a phone because you're especially like lower income like lower income jobs, like you know, do the whole thing where like you work retail and you have to be on call, which is mm-hmm. complete so it's bullshit. Where it's like you, you know, like we'll tell you whether you need it, yeah, right. But like, you can't go and like be like, oh, I'm, I'm gonna go, like you know, I'm gonna go. I mean, granted, like a lot of people are, are going too far, but like you know, for like people, someone like us, we would be like, oh, I'm gonna hop in, you know, the van. They go to Baltimore tonight, you know what I mean? Um, and like, but you can't do that because you might have to come back and work, work, you know, your retail job or work your service industry job. Like, so, like, for a lot of people, like, 
they have to be reachable to because their opportunity to make minimum wage for that couple hours that day is dependent on whether the manager needs them or is going to call them on their cell phone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's like, crazy. Like the whole, like, it costs money to be poor, you know, it's yeah. such a real thing, you know, but, but saying like, yeah, seeing the effects, seeing people living, you know, getting the, the, the sure end of the stick of capitalism and colonialism is, it's terrible and horrible. But then like seeing that, like, the people who are benefiting from it aren't even happy with all the shit, you know, it's just like, yeah. it's just crazy. It's like, why do you know, it's, it's, There's, it's just, yeah. I'd like, I'd like, you know, and I, cause you keep also hearing about, you know, rich people that are crushingly unhappy. Maybe there's a level of super richness where you, you find happiness and you achieve happiness, but it, it feels like it, it always just, it becomes like an addictive rat race for people like making money like i think we just are, are prone to addictions and it's this void that we have to fill and you know you could be filling it like you and me trying to collect punk records and, and and japanese burning spirits records and all this sort of stuff or you could be trying to become a billionaire or you could be filling it with conspiracies that you see on the internet like we all just have to have something that we fill it with or it could be recovery if you're someone yeah in recovery yeah, it's crazy, you know. Well, I want to get back to at some point we want to touch on record collecting and like tie that to ADHD in a minute. But uh, mm -hmm. um, but I want to, yeah, like I so I grew up, you know, working class in Philly, um, and with a you know my father was a firefighter. But with that said, like we, I didn't grow up like I had other. I was stressed about like getting jumped and shit but i was never like worried about money because my dad was a civil servant and you know he was always gonna have a paycheck you know um and we knew how to live within his means but like i know people who like grew up wealthy and their parents made like poor financial decisions or like bad investments or like there was like marriages that went wrong and like set fathers that like like bankrupted him or like just like random things were like even though they they always existed in bigger houses it went to private schools and like ha it had like fancier car even though they always had like luxury goods and like a lifestyle that like i've never seen they actually have a a lot more they actually grew up like really stressed about money mm -hmm. and ashamed that like they only live in like a seven bedroom house when they used to live in like a 20 bedroom house. You know what I mean? Like, like, and like, I know like it's weird to like talk about that, but like, it is like, it, it you can be completely miserable and like you have the financial stress, even though you have a lot of money is, is I've seen it, you know, and you can have, you know, and like, um, and again, growing up, like we never, um, you know, we never, Maybe it would have been nicer to, I don't know. Maybe I, it would, I guess it would have been nice to live in a neighborhood where you didn't have to worry about getting assaulted. Um, and I guess that having more money could could have solved that problem. And maybe it, you know, for a lot of people, I did. I educated myself a lot outside of school, and so maybe if I wasn't, I didn't have the inclination, um, 
the school that I had available where I was may have held me back more. I don't know, you know, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know. I, I again, in some respects, I felt completely. I wasn't worried about money, um, even though we, I grew, up, you know, working class, pretty modest. So it's weird how that how that goes, you know. Well, it's like, um, and also like you're saying, like it, you would be a completely different person if you had grown up in a different neighborhood in a different situation, not fearing about the violence, not, you know, like it just, it, it's amazing how the, the stimulus changes us and, and how much of the baggage from youth, youth we kind of carry with us and how we're all fucked up from when we were kids yeah. in our own way, you know, and like, it could be like, you're saying like fear of your parents, little empire collapsing at every second or getting jumped. It's like, you know, not saying they're all equal, but at the same time, they all will fuck you up and make you who you are as an adult. Yeah. And, and then it could be, you know, people, I mean, I'm not even joking. I work, so I, I work for, um, I don't know if I, I, I kind of, I'm going to, I don't know. You don't have to say um, anything you don't want to. Well, like, I, it's weird because I don't know, like, I'm a civil servant and I, I don't want to, like, associate, um, my political beliefs, whatever, with my job, but like, I don't know, whatever. I work, I, I work for Philadelphia Parks and Recreation, um, mm. but I work in, as, in environmental education and I work in the park side of things. But like, one of our, um, one of our recreation leaders was just killed in a crossfire. Like, oh, they're just wow. doing their job, like working at a pool, uh, keeping the pools running, and they got killed in a crossfire. And so my my department right now is just like everybody's just like devastated, you know. I'm sorry like, to hear that. Yeah, it's horrible. If we hear people talk and hear all these people talking about like not just are they devastated like that this happened to their colleague, but like it's just triggering because so many of these people have grown up with like, you know, where they've lost family members and friends to, you know, to murder and, and crossfire or whatnot, you know. Um and it's just like, you know, I I experienced Fisty cups violence, but I didn't, you know, really have to worry about, you know, like people murdering each other. I mean, I have known a couple people got murdered over the years. In fact, a friend of mine was killed in crossfire recently. Um I'm sorry. He, yeah, it was horrible. This is the punk um coffee shop in uh again, punk adjacent person. Um punk coffee shop in West Philly. The satellite, you may have gone there before, but like this guy Todd, who just hung out there, he's from the neighborhood. Um, and um and he there was just a shooting on on his block and he just and he got killed. Like wow. it had nothing to do with it, you know? Yeah. yeah. And again, it was just like he's just like, you know, um again, like he like he's like a what is yeah, this is terrible. Like yeah, this is he literally had a painting of him, a portrait of him in there, um, on the wall. Because like, there's a guy Sid, again, what is like punk-ish people, West Philly, really good artist. He painted a picture of so many people, but the one they kept at the satellite was of Todd, and they kept it up there. And then someone made like. It was like the creation of Adam, but it was Todd, you know, and like out of like pastel chalk, I guess they like shellacs or something. And that was like on the wall of the bathroom. I guess how a fiction this guy was. And yeah. he just happened to just be, you know, 
again, because he's from like he's not a judge fire, he's black. He's from, you know, the neighborhood. Like he wasn't like someone who moved in there to an anarchist collective. You know, he was his neighbor he's from the neighborhood and just hanging out, like and you know, the problems that you know, I mean, he, he was justification hadn't really caught up to where he was, but it's still pretty close. But yeah, it's just terrible. Like, um, and it's just like, you know, think about like this trauma that like people have to live with, you know, um, and in, in this country that should not have these problems, you know? Yeah. Like it's, uh, well, it's horrific that, you know, you now know two people that have had to deal with like not involved in any situation, but being in the wrong place at at the at the wrong time you know like being just or even in the right place at the wrong time like it wasn't like they were you know doing work and hanging at a coffee shop or yeah you know it's just so it's so tragic and just yeah i think it was um i'm trying to remember who nicole panter when she was on the show she said that punk was like people with trauma inflicting trauma on other people and <laughs> it's one of those lines that it's just kind of like stayed with me when you kind of think about how many people you encounter in this that have suffered like some sort of trauma that, um, you know, in some cases, you know, I think it was Elgin James when he was on the show talked about like, you know, that's what leads some people to commit violent acts too, is the fact that they have this trauma and they have no other way to deal with it, but inflict it on other people. Yeah, definitely. Um, and 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 so many people in punk have tra- had trauma in their lives, and also have you know, some sort of mental illness, or mm. they're neuro- neurologically divergent in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's a lot of it's a really good thing. Um, but there's the downside is like, um, is I, you know, it is a it is a it is a and the gateway, I don't know. It, it the access. If you're living in an underground, if you're living in a subculture, if you're, if you're already existing, if you're going to illegal venues, if you're going to, if you're doing things that are outside the eye of the law or whatever, other things happen there. And so the access to to heavy hard drugs, um, you know, people with a lot of problems anyway and then access to hard drugs that is something i always struggle with um because mm-hmm. i've i have lost so many people granted they usually like have distanced themselves from me by the time they get really bad into it but you know i've lost so many friends to heroin and then also like um they might have actually kicked it but the the damage it did to their bodies has caught up with them in their you know middle age or by the time they're middle age and killed them you know and it's just that is something I struggle with. The punk is like, punk is, could be great for somebody because um, you you can find you know a safe haven for you being an unusual person for whatever reason or having trauma and you know um, and want to find some solace. But then it could be this, it could be the next thing you know you're doing heroin and it's something that always you know worries me. But then the other thing is like you could also then um, not get out of your comfort zone. And stay in a state of suspended adolescence into your 30s or more, and then not, you know, be like terrified of a nine to five job. And then the thing you know, you're like stuck doing like manual labor in your 40s because you you have no other choice. You didn't invest 
in opportunities that are, you know, going to pay off in, in employment that you don't hate <laughs> someday, you know? And so, you know, and so that can be, you know, downside of it too, but it could also be like this incredible creative outlet, you know, where you, and, and, um, you know, you find people who, who love and care for you, um, even though you're unusual. So, you know, that's a good thing, but, uh, yeah, it can become like a Peter Pan thing where you can't escape it. And it, yeah, it, it, it it's a place where you, there, there is, you know, some people abuse this obviously, but there is no age in punk rock and the idea of like, you know, I had friends when I got into punk, like it was, and I mean this completely innocently, I had friends when I was like 14 or 16 more that were like in their forties and it was just normal. Like we talked about records and these were my, yeah. my, my friends, you know, we, we traded records together and it's, it was very normal, but like you could totally get trapped in punk and just always just just hanging out with people talking about music and just, and just never, you know, never feel the need to have to leave. And it's not always a bad thing, but like you're saying, it can be, something that that winds up trapping you and i say this as someone who does find themselves a little trapped these days yeah well for me i think bird watching was like such a great thing for me because it got me like i had a to i had to um make friends with people who weren't in punks because to do to share a hobby with now mm -hmm. a fair amount of you know like some punks they bull got into bird um bird watching because of going on tour with with me and rebel always like to get out in nature but i specifically was looking for different species you know and i actually brought extra binoculars um usually two other pairs of binoculars for the other guys or whoever else so it's a character to go birding with me just so i had people so bull bull now has more birding tattoos bird tattoos than i do because he <laughs> saves real estate he also we went to a bird watching um um festival and they had a, a tattoo uh contest and everybody because i'm much more well known in the birding community than bull um and uh and people were like oh dude you you're gonna go you're gonna win and i'm like no i'm gonna go i'm gonna bring the guy's gonna win and they're like no it's gonna be you you're clearly gonna win and i'm like trust me and i go and like and um and bull like um he's also you know very handsome and he's a bit of specimen himself but like he removes his shirt um and uh, you know there was a gasp um <laughs> and and um you know he's a very fit well-built man but also like he's covered in these gorgeous um tat bird tattoos and nature tattoos and it was just a, he handily won um the tattoo but <laughs> but yeah but uh but yeah, it's meeting people like you know in bird you know it was really nice to meet people some of my best friends you know it's funny it's like my my groomsmen um my wife has a has a huge family um and so it was like we both knew like and i have a lot of friends it was like we had to be a big bridal party and i think nine, but i think we each we each have nine or ten different um people in our bridal party and like mine was like it was like three i guess it was like what's it like six punks and three birders you know yeah, yeah. in mine but like but it was funny it was, it was like you know um but also but the if you're in the like 90s uh um 
late night, you know, mid late nineties and early two thousands, like punk, uh, a lot of them represented in my bridal party. Cause it was like Mike McKee, you know, from yeah. Kilometer Questions, Andrew Martini, um, you know, Limpress, Derek, yeah. uh, Kenny, who was in Jihad and state, uh, <laughs> um, trying to think like who else was like, you know, I mean, the wedding itself was from people, but it would have been crazier if I got married 10 years earlier. Um, I would have, you know, like Alice Rotten dropped dead, might have played for like, yeah, you exactly. know what I mean? It like, would have been, you would have gotten married in the, in the church and it would have been yeah. a, a four day festival. <laughs> so, um, it's, it's, it's funny. What would be like the, uh, the like Gizem, uh, detestation of, of bird finding? Um, for watching like what's what's like the the one that everyone's hoping is find maybe not the the rarest bird but the one everyone's like you got to see this one well it's this is the thing i mean this is the thing about birding is like um it is kind of like record collecting back in the day when like it is possible that you could be flipping through records at a thrift store and and find detestation right like it's not mm-hmm. impossible it's happened you know what i mean like like you know like or just a record store or someone that know you know it and that's the thing about birding is that because birds can fly um and they're light to be able to fly they can be um a storm can blow them thousands of miles off course or the uh, they do have like an internal navigation system, and sometimes that can just go screwy. So the thing birders really like is not is like um, is when something like sh- from somewhere else in the world shows up somewhere else. You know, what mm-hmm. I mean? and that is so it's kind of like it'd be like finding more a super. But and it doesn't mean that the bird is necessarily rare itself, but where it's from, it just meant that like it's, it's somewhere where it shouldn't be. Yeah, and that is like that's that's what gets birders most excited. Where you're like, holy shit! Like and it's annoying for a while. There, I think it's up in Newfoundland now, but there's a stellar sea eagle on the on the east coast. It's to come as far south as as Rhode Island, and but it seems to be hanging between Rhode Island and Newfoundland. And but this bird is a bird breeds in Siberia and winters in northern Japan, and it's the biggest eagle in the world. How one ended up, and also even crazier, it ended up in Texas. So someone saw this bird in in central Alaska, uh, took a picture of it, and because of its markings, it could tell it's the same individual. And then one was seen in in like South Texas. How the hell? And then it showed up in in New England, in New England, and like Mar- Canadian Mar- in the Maritimes. So like, and it's, a, it's one of the coolest looking birds in the world. But it's so annoying to me because when Rambo was torn in Asia, um, we're doing the All Asia Pass by Cathay Pacific, and I um, to the buy the to get the um, the uh, the blocks of time I needed to cover our entire tour. Um, I actually ended up with an extra week where I could just, I could fly for free, but we didn't have shows. So I flew into um, Nagoya and then paid for an internal flight with um, Satoshi from, from uh, Muga 
uh, who did our tour and we went up to Hokkaido, the North Island, Japan, because that's where these um, eagles um, the, come south regularly in the winter. There's like dozens of them, hundreds of them in, in North Island, Japan. And, and so I made a special point to go see this bird. And then one shows up where I could have just hopped in a car with a buddy and gone seen it in like Massachusetts. Um, <laughs> and it was like there. And I'm like, it's like, I made a whole point. I could have spent a week in Borneo and seen way more species of bird, you know? Um, but I went to Japan because I wanted, because this is the coolest, it's the biggest Eagle in the world. It's craziest looking to me, in my opinion. Um, and one, and the window one shows up like, couple hundred miles from philadelphia and tons of people i know we're driving up to it you know i i still have a license but i i'm terrified of driving but tons of people would be, oh come with me i'm like well i have a baby now and i've already seen a couple dozen of them in japan it's so weird it's like um but uh i guess it's kind of like you buy a rare record and then they reissue it you know and you're like well pardon me the excitement of it was having a copy of it on vinyl at all and what i have spent you know i don't know you know it's weird but i don't i don't do records anymore i sold my record collection years ago i remember because i think you had sold it just before because last time we hung out was at sneaky d's and you were going up to like where are you going like nunavik to to study birds oh uh, to the very um top of a uh, manitoba um, okay very top but, of but i could see none of it because any island in hudson bay is none of it so i could see none of it yeah yeah, like, and you, I think you told me you had to sell records for that trip. Oh, I think that's what you were saying back then. We were talking deep, deep Japanese record collecting. I remember. Yeah. And, and, you know, I had, um, I'm trying to think. What if, because I also went to Peru and I also sold stuff to go to Peru. And I don't know. So maybe I sold stuff to go to Alaska. I forget exactly. But like the, but, um, um, the thing is, so it's funny now that Rambo has announced that we're having this record come out. Like someone posted, like Ben just took the copy paste it from Discogs or Wikipedia. It's oh, it was a vegan straight edge band. Like, we were never a vegan straight edge band. Like lots of our, you know, the members had been at times bull still is, but um, I was straight edge and like I I was overt about it. But like the band was never, you know, even like our first demo, there's like a uh, a picture of like five fists and one of them uh, it, one of them has a bottle in his hand and the rest had x's on it it was just kind of silly mm. um but it was the members a lot of the members were maybe at times um everybody in the band was but it was never something we were about but i i was straight edge because i felt like i had no choice like the way the scene was in Philadelphia in 1992 or whatever, it was like, you either are straight edge or you're a junkie. And mm -hmm. like, I, um, um, I didn't know people until later that, you know, could drink and smoke some weed and not be a mess. Like, you know, I'd hang out in apartments and like people would be shooting up, you know, um, like that was just what the scene was like. And people who were like, not eight, 10 years older than me look like zombies. And I remember, I never forget like what's before I moved into Stalag. Um, you know, it was only around, I was there for three years. Um, so it was around a year before I moved into it and like took over, over the operation. But 
uh, what was the show? Was it Verukers? I think it was Verukers was playing, and two Nazis showed up, and and like we were like jumping this guy. It was only two Nazis. Um, you know, next time Nazis came, there's more of them, but there's more of us, and we, we you know, I broke their windshield out. We, we scared shit. We scared them off. But like, these two Nazis were able to get in and like start like pummeling my friend because everybody was so fucked up. They weren't able to to do anything about it. It was only it was me and Andrew Martini, you know, from Limperist. You know, we were the only ones because he was straight at the time, too. I mean, he had started he ended up starting to drink and stuff later, but but he was mature about it to, to go crazy. But um, at the time we were both straight edge and we, we were the only ones that like were able to like intervene. And so we went, it was the, the singer, what the sucks of two singers initially. Um and it was one of the singers that sucks. And this other guy were getting jumped by these not big Nazi dudes. And luckily, um, I mean, so Andrew t- grabbed one, I grabbed the other guy, but my, our friend didn't realize he was being rescued. And I don't know how effective Andrew and I's rescue would have been anyway. <laughs> but so he, he maces the Nazi, but I'm mace as well. <laughs> I'm mid tackle of the Nazi. Yeah. So I get maced too. And it was funny. I think I was still living at my parents' house at the time. I'm not, I think regardless, I didn't, I stayed downtown and go home. So, you, you know, uh, cheap sex in the virus, you know, Mike virus. That, yeah. Know? Yeah. I know the band. Absolutely. So the, the singer, Mike virus, he's now back in the area, but he lived in San Diego for years, but like, you know, crazy, you know, like casualties looking kind of punk guy. Um, but he used to be, we used to call him Mike Crassel. He used to be totally into peace punk. And then he got super into like, you know, um, hairspray punk. But, uh, um, and he was at the time, he actually, you see old virus records. And I think even maybe some of his cheap sex stuff. I used to be the guy that painted everybody's jacket. So um, I actually painted like, you see like my, you know, a one-way system or like the defects or whatever I painted on his jacket. You can see it, some virus records. Um, oh, but anyway, I, he had an apartment downtown. And it, so I literally, and it was just started my dreads. So I literally had to like, I took a shower at his house that night, but the problem was the mace was in my dreads. So I ended up mace, getting mace twice because <laughs> it, it like ran out my dreads into my eyes in, oh, in no. his shower. Oh, but, um, but yeah, but like, so I think I had, I always was afraid that I would, um, um, I couldn't like, I would just get into drugs or I avoided it. And then, um, so it was only been recently that I got diagnosed with ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, I'm, yeah, I'm on Adderall and if I'm swishing, it makes my, my mouth dry. So sometimes, uh, if I don't drink enough liquid, uh, you know, it could, it could actually be recorded or my podcast and my, my swishing sometimes for the Adderall. Uh, anyway, but, um, it's been so eye opening because I, I, I may have gotten into drugs or something, um, because I, I feel like compulsions, um, that I, I used to argue on the internet. I almost ruined my friendship with like Bob from drop dead because I'd argue with him about feral cats and like, but like, it's crazy. Cause like I wasn't a troll by any means, but like, I just couldn't like not, say something if someone says something that i thought was incorrect or whatever and then i would kind of like get excited by the like argument and and i stopped doing that because of being on adderall but i think it also makes i like collecting things and i sometimes like i'm in i'm fine financially but sometimes i can make like bad financial decisions i think like 
because I think my way of dealing with with avoiding problems is doing things cold turkey. Like I think one of the reasons Rambo, I broke Rambo up because bands don't break up anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Like again, look at Lippers and Drop Dead. It just so I think the reason I I, I suggested Rambo break up was in my mind I needed a clean break to to concentrate on new things, and I think with records I was like, yo, I need to like, I'm gonna like. I had a giant record collection and I had, I was still like years away from making any kind of adult money. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine nothing. I don't like made of money or anything. I, I'm a civil servant. I make a decent salary like a school teacher kind of money. But like if I had 1500 records when I had no money, what the hell would I have now that I have, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I would just probably be like making bad decisions, you know, like mm-hmm. spending money, you know, um, on records. So like I, in my head, I think I just was like, I should, you know, and and also I got a thrill out of finding records. And it's just not the same when you could just like, you know, a call up Billy at Brickwall. I mean, I don't I don't think he's doing Brickwall anymore, but hey Billy, I want um I want Wind the Pain and um um Wasted Dream. And he's like, All right, when they come in, I'll, I'll let you know. And I'm like, Oh, that's it? Like I could just, you know, I'm in the know, you know, I know the right people to find records. I that's all yeah. about how much money I have. Um, and then now with the internet, it's a whole, but, but again, I spent, you know, about a hundred dollars each, maybe give or take on those records. Then, you know, 15, 20 years, I forget how long ago it was, but like, I know those records are way worth way more now, but like, it's all, you know, I remember going to new hope. So new hope is in, um, is like, just like artsy kind of town on the Delaware river in Bucks County. It's like, it's just shy of the, where the mountains start. It's like really pretty, beautiful, hippie place. And I remember just going to this record store, you know, this is over probably 25 years ago. And I remember like just scoring like doom and disrupt and sore throat records, you know, like yeah. concrete socks. It's like this stack of records. And I probably spent 30 bucks and got like a decent stack. And, and that was so awesome. And, but like, you'll never, you know, that's never happened again. So like mm-hmm. now that, once you were able to buy records at will, it, the thrill kind of went away. But I think that thrill was wholly tied to ADHD, you know, like, yeah. And just no, like getting, you're right. Like that's what I was into as much as the music was, the thrill, was the hunt, you know? Yeah, it is. So. It is the hunt. You know, that's what like it's now it's changed because there is almost a universal price guide for stuff. It's changed, but yeah, like a hundred percent, I feel, you know, as someone with, uh, I, I'm beginning to understand increasingly that maybe I do have ADHD and that would explain a lot. And, uh, it, it's the same, what you're saying is exactly the same compulsion I feel for it, you know? And that's why for just bad financial decisions wise, I switched to buying cheap records and giving myself limits because otherwise I just can't control myself around these records. And I have definitely, made some very poor financial decisions in my past because of them. Well, it's crazy. I started buying vinyl because it was cheaper than CDs and tapes. Yeah. Right. That's literally, it was like, Oh, I could buy Dick Kennedy's and conflict records for like four or $5. Like literally I was, when I first started doing it, I was almost like embarrassed. I was like, I was doing it out of financial necessity to get access to like, Oh, I found that way to get this music for cheap rather than like, you know, um, but uh, um, oh, but, but uh, 
since it's only been a couple of days from, I just mentioned Bob and Drop Dead a little bit a couple of days since 9 11. Uh, here's a funny anecdote. I had to wake up Bob to tell him 9 11 happened. Oh, wow. Yeah. I stayed in his house um, in uh, um, Providence um, and we hung out super late in su- super early in the morning. Like, you hung out like four in the morning. So, like, um, we slept through it. It was like 11 o'clock and I was getting like, um, I, I think I had like voicemails or something because this was like before iPhones, but like early days of cell phone. And I had like, so when I went to bed, I took a shower. I went, went to the room Bob had me stay in. He had uh, put like a mannequin with like a skull head and like some weird ass music and like a strobe light to like, you know, fuck with me. Um, so I think he thought I was fucking with him to yeah. get him back. But I was like, dude, Bob, you got to get up. Like, you know, terrorists attacked the World Trade Center. And I, 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 finally, I was like, Bob, they're, they're no longer standing. And he like sat up in bed and he goes, oh, my God, it's World War fucking three. And like, it was crazy. And then like we went in that night um, uh, with uh, DS-13 played Providence. It was so crazy. Yeah, I think I went and saw like a Def Jux tour that night in Toronto that happened where it was just everyone was just kind of in disbelief uh, that day. And obviously, you know, we're, we're much further away um from it i will not to counteract your straight edge argument about you guys never being a straight edge band i am holding in my hand my copy of the rambo demo which does have x rambo x philadelphia hardcore written on the label i'm not i'm not refuting you tony i just felt i had to enter that into evidence ah yeah i mean (laughs) yeah i feel like we were like up front that we had straight edge members but we were like you know, I well, was, was a straight edge band back then, right? Like that was, I've got my Limpers demo. It's X Limpers X on that. Yeah. Too. Yeah. We were sort of first Limpers show, like, um, like just like we did for Rambo for a Rambo show, like all, all my friends, like, uh, it's funny. Uh, who was it? I just, I took notes, but my notes are on my phone. Cause I wasn't like, Someone you're talking about mentioned Hanley Street in New Brunswick. I forget who it was. Maybe Jason Fifrodis. I love the like when I was like you know I trying to like catch up on your podcast. I was, it's funny thing who I listen to because I'm like I'm like uh oh, Anthony Bourdain, like Bill Hader, blah blah. blah. I'm like Jason Hammaker, definitely. <laughs> you know, yeah. like Jason. No, the Jason Orkin. one's amazing too. Jason's yeah. like awesome, right? So I think that's the thing. It's like. Like, like, you know, when you know these people, you're like, oh my God, I like, I can't wait to, you know, he was literally like, I mean, I had listened to what I had listened to ones that came in my feed, you know, Mm -hmm. like when I subscribed, but like when I was like, let me go back and like catch up. I was like, he was the first, I I, like, I gotta listen to his. And then I saw, you know, Jay from Orchid and I had to listen to his too. And of course, Martin, because good buddies with him and trying to think who else, but like, um, I mean, obviously, like I had to listen to some of my man crushes, like Barney, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but uh, but it's funny, like, like I don't know. I even wrote Jason. I was like, dude, you're like the, like, I can't imagine someone who's more like at the intersection of so much of that world. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, like 
uh, than Jason. Like he, you know, the bands he was in. Plus, I don't know. I feel like DC is kind of like a cross at the crossroads of a lot of stuff. Anyway, you know, yeah. Um, and and just like it's just his personality too. Like, um, yeah, like that dude's so awesome. It's just so it's funny. It's like sometimes like you can't even remember like specific conversations or instances, but I just remember that like I love this person from like my interactions with them. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's one of those people yeah. like this person is amazing, you know? Yeah. Um we met we were lucky that we met so many cool like we were in a scene where you know there were just so many cool people, you know, like all over the country, all over the world that, you know, we're all interacting and like sure there were some fucking assholes. But I mean like looking back in that time, like bands that stayed at our house or people's houses I stayed at or people that did our shows or like bands, you know, like it was just there's a lot of cool, interesting people that were drawn to it at that time and kind of like we're on kind of the same page about this being a space that should feel safe and fun for everyone. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I know we didn't get everything right, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. uh, and could do things better, but that was definitely the attention. It was like, you know, we didn't want to, you know, and I mean, people like you and me too, like, even though like we would be associated with like certain specific genres, like um, we hung out with all with a wider variety of bands and, you know, like, um, and, and there's just so many wonderful people just making cool music and doing cool shit, you know, and it's cool to catch up, see what people are doing now, you know, mm -hmm. with their, like, you know, I mean, just like an example, like just seeing like Kurt Ballou, like, I know the coverage would be like a little bit not exactly into our world, but oh, know. they definitely were right. Like that's yeah, or, that's, yeah, that's, I guess so. For sure. They kind of yeah. became this other entity, you know what I mean? They're almost like you know, um, oh, they but went anyway, to just a see... different place. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of like popularity and stuff, but they're they're a fest basement band at, at yeah. heart, like the rest of us. But just seeing like you know, like I just saw a video of him like unboxing. The guitars he makes now or has yeah. made you know i'm like yeah. that's amazing you know yeah. like he does that i mean he is like the craziest example but like i don't know just like people like making cool art you know but like also it'll tie back to ramble and our you know, the band like our album cover is done by timble um Keono. i think is how you pronounce his last name i should know no but he he's from um he does like mortician and all these death metal album covers but he's from um borneo from indonesian borneo uh the city of balakpapan in kalimantan which is to, to this the state in indonesia that it, um of the indonesian portion of borneo but like so he did our show and played in a band uh and then he he's like come stay at i i run a nature center and sun bear rescue facility like what? on the edge of this forest in borneo so like we went and like stay with him and and uh, so i end up doing i do this thing the world series of birding mm -hmm. um and did i've done it like 10 times over over past 20 years um and uh or more than that now but um so we like and you, it's like a thing you do for charity it's like you know it's like a marathon you, you know like you pledge per mile, whatever you pledge per bird. It's a friendly competition. I've actually won it a couple of times in the bike category. Um, 
but uh, it's cool. But we raised money for his thing, you know, for, for that suicide in touch. But then he moved here because the the vet the the veterinarian of the facility was American, and they got together and got married, which is his own crazy story because she had to convert to Islam to marry him, even though he's an atheist. Because, you know, you're in Indonesia. You can't get married unless there's a religious ceremony. Yeah. And so, like, she had to convert. But to convert to Islam, you can't just convert to Islam from being an atheist. So she had to join a church in America just so she could then convert to Islam to marry this guy who's an atheist. Wow, that's a journey. That is true love. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but now they live now. She she runs an aquarium in Washington State and he makes death metal album covers. But like, <laughs> even if he even if I didn't know him, just by seeing his art, I'd be like, oh, this is of course they want this guy to do our album cover. Like, but like he did a show and he ran a nature center in Borneo, like it was like essential. And then like so like the first song that relapse released, the Fox Extinction, like we actually made like a mini doc about it. It was to it's just like some subtitles that'll in some footage that'll be um come out it's like you know it was originally going to be like intro to the, to the video but we separated it but it's going to be uh um just like except on social media but like we talk about timbal and like so when, when we recorded rec- Keith had to record this this song um and he was like you know we demoed it he's like he, he we need another verse it, so the first verse is about i mentioned arctic wildlife but it's funny i Hung out with you all my way up to see these uh, to be in the Arctic. So I mentioned Arctic wildlife in it. Um, and the, the second verse, by this point, we were already asked Timbal to do our album cover. So the second verse is about boarding wildlife in honor of Timbal. So it's like, you know, it's funny how they, you know, called full circle and like yeah. this like positive feedback loop. Um, but uh, yeah, that was a, uh, this is the network of friends, you know, the global network of friends and, you know, it's amazing that like Timbo became this amazing, always was a great artist, but he's now this like prolific death metal and like nature artist. And he's like, did our show in Borneo. It's it. Well, that's the thing. It's, it's this light bulb that draws all these really interesting moths from all over the world to it, where we all are given freedom to be weird and be who we are, you know, as much as it can be this negative thing of people inflicting trauma on each other. It's also this incredibly positive space where you learn skills that you can carry with you for the rest of your life. And like you're saying, this international network of friends that you can stay with, they can come stay with you and and you have this, you know, there's not, I don't know, maybe it's like that in other scenes and I just didn't experience it because I didn't, I wasn't a part of these other scenes, but it just feels like something that's so uniquely punk that you could have friends from just all over the world because of touring in a band where you're not staying in a hotel every night, you're actually living with people. Yeah. And like, well, like the pointless fest started, um, in, in like me sleeping on like boarded icons couch. Cause I like, you know, I was like, uh, a relationship ended. I was, I was kind of bummed, uh, and board icons are coming through and they're like, why don't you just hop in a van with us and come to Montreal and hang out in Montreal for a couple of weeks? I'm like, okay, this is what you just did, you know? Yeah. I was like, hopped in their van, and then I came back down with a different van. Van, I think I forget. Like, <laughs> um, but uh, and I was just like depressed and like sad, and I was like, 
I want something to look forward to. And every year since my birthday is in August, um, and at the peak of Stalag, it just so happened that like my birthday was on a weekend for like two or three years in a row, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 bands would be touring, so I just jokingly wrote on there that it was my birthday show. It's just coincidence. And so people were like, "What's your show going to be like next year?" And then like Stalag got shut down. I relationship ended, you know. But also, apparently, ADHD you take like rejection much harder. So it's like this is interesting. Like, like a uh, um that so what I learned about it. But anyway, so I was like bummed, and I was I wanted something to look forward to. So I did, that was the first year where before Greg was involved. It was just like bands within you know. I think it was like um um tragedy and just some you know from just bands that I could fly in from in the country but then um greg again we're talking about how things change with philly greg was book shows at abc no rio but he lived in north jersey um when it came time to him to, to he so he didn't want to move to new york because it's too expensive so he moved to philly he moved in with me and then we like combined forces and uh, they started doing the fest together because his birthday is two days before mine so um, but it was funny the, 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 that I guess that was the year we flew with Totalitar. Um, yeah. And um, which was like the biggest coup ever because people were like, we're never going to see this band. They never play outside of Sweden. They played England. They played Finland a couple of times. And they played England once. And we just all took was being like, can, like, can we pay for your plane ticket and have merch made for you? And you can keep all of the merch. Just other than the expenses to make it you can, and they're like sure and and you know you know do you know lisa and rich from that that like couple that like go to every show in, in like from like philly to, they're from north jersey but they go for every show from philly to providence they're like drop dead heads you know them uh no i don't know if i met them oh they're legends they're wonderful um in fact it's lisa's birthday today um but anyway oh, like um they're they're they've been together for like 30 years mm -hmm. and apparently they still haven't merged their record collections <laughs> they'll still buy two separate records yeah that's um, awesome my wife still insists on not merging hers with mine but i have sucked all the joy of buying records out of her life so <laughs> it's more just like a perfectly preserved time capsule of the time when she used to find joy in it um but originally they're only like about my age maybe just a little bit older than, than me and greg but like um lisa was a school was a school teacher is a school teacher and rich is a house painter so they actually had like real jobs like mm -hmm. and so we just they just put totalitar and some other bands um on their credit card their plane tickets <laughs> <laughs> and we paid them back you know obviously but like um um but uh anyway so like they that's kind of how it started it was just like again like at a friend's house looking for you know it just it kind of spiraled out of that but that was um how that how, how that happened but it's funny um I, we had a friend in philly who worked for an airline at the time mm -hmm. and she could she, she gave us she could get us like tickets so it was like friend tickets to standby tickets for like 30 bucks yeah the buddy so, pass yeah so we bought um um so we flew our plan was to, so we flew in Timmy. This is years before Timmy's fest, but he was just this 
you use it to the best dude ever. And we're like, we want to make this fest great. So we want to make sure Timmy comes. And we're like, and I was like, you know what? We're going to make this even crazier. We're going to have Texas James come. So we like spent 30 or 60 bucks out of our own pocket to get Timmy and a standby ticket and Texas James. You know, Texas James is spouse 151. You know, yeah, yeah, but you know, he brings the party like no other, right? Oh, that's the thing. No one parties like Texas bands. No right. one parties like Texas. But bands. the funny thing is, is James didn't even make it because, like, the it, the, it, the buddy pass is a little bit cumbersome, and somehow he got like kicked off and sent home on his like layover, <laughs> so he never even made it to Philly. Oh my god! Uh, it's uh, the yeah, pointless fest. Like, it's funny you mentioned Timmy. Timmy, I think with what he did with this fest in Texas as well, like Ricky Fest come, Timmy Fest come, you know, it became like it, it such a huge thing. But it's really like Pointless Fest where that was like where that style of fest and Varning in Montreal. But like, I really think, you know, Pointless Fest was like the birth of that type of fest. Yeah, I think, you know, um, it was all about just like finding, you know, if it wasn't Rich and Lisa letting um, you know, their credit card to, and, you know, um, and approaching Totalitar, I think that would have happened. But yeah, but that's, it's crazy. But, you know, Philly is, um, is a great, you know, it's become have a lot more venues now and everything. But again, it's a kind of a brutal town. And I just think once, t- you know, A, we had that riot because we had the all the squatters would come and like the train hoppers and just like hang outside and end up getting in a fight mm-hmm. and cause all these problems. Um, and so that's what we stopped. But also like um, Timmy is a, he's just really good at what he does. And Austin is such a great city for, you know, I mean, they call it the live music capital of the world yeah, exactly. or whatever, yeah. but yeah. like it just has the venues to really support, you know, um, that kind of you know that kind of a thing better than you know um you just had you know you need like a place like emos and a couple other smaller places and it just really lend itself to that so i th- yeah. feel like we're just like okay we got shut down tv's got this now <laughs> you know like yeah. it really it you know really worked out and I, lo- I love philly and you know you know my favorite city in the world still but you know i'm not you know, I'm not so blinded by my love for my city to not recognize that other cities can be more conducive to certain things, you know? And, uh, definitely hundred percent. I'm just so uh, bummed because there was some talk about Rambo playing. Um, but we're, you know, the whole, the whole, um, um, that there's, there's like weird, like platform boat shows, you know, like, did you ever go to one of the boat shows? I never got like that was the thing when I last time I went was when it was still the bridge show era, which was I think um, the boat show era. I don't know maybe we played we we did with D four maybe that was there were boat shows that year, but no, I never got tickets. They would all always go so quickly. The boat shows were so weird because they were. Um, uh, I only went one year, um, but the boat it's a weird. The boat is like. It's it's like a platform. It's like it looks like a warehouse with no walls. That's somehow yeah. a boat. Like it's no it's not like a bow. 
it's like a big rectangle or square with like two levels. Okay. Is, with like cement, like it's the weirdest looking thing ever. Like again, it has like no, um, it's just like you know one of these like you know what do they call them? Like, like uh, pontoon boats. It's just a, a massive like small warehouse sized like two story one like with the slide from the second story. Um, so um, my dream was to play the boat show, but rent a second boat and <laughs> and and everybody gets to the sh- everybody gets to the show and they get on the boat and they're like where's rambo and they're like oh make up some lie like oh rambo sorry you know they're not telling them they're already on the boat but like oh rambo couldn't make it something happened they could they were able to get on the boat sorry you know we'll offer you a refund or something and then like once they get to so then the boat gets to where the show they stop and have the show or whatever and then we're already there and we've transformed the other boat into like so we actually play across from the, the you know and like we like have a we, we attack it like pirates <laughs> yeah. that was i'm like man rambo's so full so much of rambo is like me coming up with ideas and then the, the rest of the band like like calming me down and being like like no like let's not play iraq and afghanistan let's just play indonesia or like 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 mel gibson versus the jews is probably not the best idea of a theme for we need, and i was like you need people in your life that will tell you that i still <laughs> i still say that i just had as i was i just had this idea of all these different mel gibson characters fighting like the idf and like I just thought I was like, man, because you know, we said that remarks, you know, and at the time, Dave was our drummer, who's you know, like literally, we had to miss a show because his grandfather died, and like, um, and you have to, you know, Jewish ceremony, you have to be buried within like days, right? So he had to like fly home to the funeral, fly back, like, uh, you know, so Dave was gonna he okayed the like the theme. Uh, it's gonna be brilliant, you know, um, uh, but like, you know, people people want to understand the uh um you know the theme so we like we there'd be like other you know um um you know because it's always like a, something versus something right so like yeah. something that like you know so um so that was like the you know um and also like jordan mastodamus like he you know again like he so we had all these like yeah you, you know we had a lot of jewish friends you know northeast philly area lots of so they, they would have been like, fighting Mel Gibson in different, yeah. uh, it, uh, but they're like, it, it's not going to go over well. Um, um, my people might take it the wrong way. Let's not do that. And they're, they're right, of course. But like, I just pitch these ridiculous ideas, and they'd be like, nah, not that. But like, you know, and uh, well, that's what so. you need. You need in a band, you need the dreamers and the practicalists, and that's really like, you know, punk is all about these two different things coming together. You know, be it street rock and roll and art school kind of uh vision or it's the dreamers and the practicalists you know you, you we need these two things to kind of coexist for punk to exist yeah it, absolutely i remember um my friend alan oh, we, we, we were we were trying to make um it was a show i think it was a show that ended up being like we played with the locust and and life's hot what a show right um 
And um, um, in Philly, we did all the theatrics. We had a venue. We did the show, so we had access to the venue days before. So we, so we had the balconies and everything. So um, I was like talking to them about the props, and I was like, so I want um. I want 50 costumes, 25 bride cops and 25 um, um, Vikings. And they're like, that's so many. And, and, uh, and, and like, I was like, the vision cannot be diluted. Right. And then, and then Alan goes, or the delusion cannot be envisioned. <laughs> and like, I don't know if we ever actually did it. We're actually wanted to put that on like the, written in like the vinyl on the record like the 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 vision can't be you know diluted and then like delusion can't be envisioned on the on the vinyl but i forget if we ever actually did that but that was that was what we thought about doing um but oh so when is this going to come out i'm just curious about because we have a, another video coming out i'm i'm not I sure think i'm I'm probably put it out in a couple weeks okay <sighs> so probably like why like well, I could not put it out until you know this comes to be that you want to talk about. Well, um, if you want to see. do it that way. Well, no, because um, so we 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 filmed a video like so. The first video was just like old footage with just some cell phone cameras of us, just because we we're like, and I got some footage of of like the wildlife. We talk about it, but like the first, you know, um, but the. the Rather than a the band is split between L.A. and Philly, um, we've never even gotten the same room to record the record. Um, but uh, um, it had nothing to do with COVID either. It's just like the COVID actually delayed the record. The record was in the works before COVID. We just thought we could get studio time because of the of the of COVID, so we kind of put the brakes on it for a little bit. It wasn't like we had time now to do a record. It was it. Actually, COVID actually delayed the record. We would have been out a little bit sooner. But anyway, mm -hmm. um, so we're not going to just like get the band together and like get a warehouse and do the thing where like, the band play, but heads to play live in like a warehouse like every other band video is, right? Um, like, so we actually have like we, a scripted video. Um, and so the song is is uh, called The End is Nigh, NYE. So it's about bill nye the science guy basically like losing his shit and like choking out climate change climate deniers and like anti-science people mm. so um so like the <laughs> so it's like, we can't be ridiculous like playing live right now i don't know if we will or not but like we don't have that outlet right now so we try to do it with this video so this video is just like literally it's like i'm playing alex jones and bulls playing joe rogan in the video <laughs> <laughs> and our friend Derek, who's a Muay, a Muay Thai fighter, who kind of looks like Bill Nye, is playing Bill Nye. Um, and there's other shit in there. It's just like the stupidest thing ever. But like, I'm just like, can't wait to actually come out. But yeah, um, it should be out. Like, I think that's the second. It's supposed to be out like early the first week of October. So it probably will be out after this, um, before this comes out. But yeah, it's the stupidest thing ever. It's like, like why not? You know, like yeah no exactly um, it's like well that's the thing about the band it's it was always like i remember the it was i think ruination playing with you guys at the sidebar in baltimore oh yeah um, 
And I think Callahan, well, I shouldn't maybe name names. I mean, the statute of limitation isn't up for this, but he stole a fire extinguisher and sprayed you guys in the middle of the set. And uh, you were like, it's the pigs with tear gas. And kind of like, it was super noxious. And I think we ultimately had to evacuate the venue for a little while. Uh, I don't know, I don't know if, you, if that happened. But anyway, it was, it was it, cool I how you, it... inco- you incorporated it into the set. And it was like, damn, this band's got a vision that's going to like demo era on oh man yeah that's yeah it's just always been like why not like yeah again this band has a vision like we made a demo and then so killer man went on tour and when the band started it originally it was jave and kid dynamite the singer kid dynamite playing bass mm-hmm. and then and then andy on guitar and jeremy from killer man on drums but uh, Kid Dynamite was blown up so huge, it was obvious. Like, in fact, we had to sing a guest song about us kicking him out on the first record. I mean, um, because it was just like he was, he, we knew he could be the band, so we just we got another bass player while he was on tour, and he was jokingly upset about it. He, he like, knew there's no way he could do it, right? So then we got Bo, and Bo was also in Killer Man Questions. Um, but when so when Killer Man Question went on tour, they brought like our demo with them, and and people had just started hearing about our local shows a little bit, just word of mouth. And then like Max Ward got a copy of a six two five, and he was like, "I want to do a record with you guys." And I was like, "Cool, we want an LP." And he's like, "All right," because like you're not gonna you're not gonna get your vision out with a seven inch, like you know, like I wanted. So that's the first thing we put out was an LP because like. You can have a booklet. You can have more pictures. You can have more, like, you have a whole manifesto. Like, mm-hmm. conflict. Conflict was like I just heard Barney in, in your interview with him was talking about the governor before. But Bull was on the first record. Is on the you know the the every other record. But Bull and I's favorite record probably is is the governor Force, Like from end to end, it's like that's our like, and we jokingly call this record our governable force. In fact. Someone actually said it to I think Mike Thorne was actually like, this is like you're in Governor Force. I'm like, exactly. Um, but like um that record to me is like, you know, perfect. Um and it doesn't have a poem, but it has like a song. It has that like you know, that like piano music song. Um, you know, um Yeah, it's got the ballady kind of Yeah, not, she's like, yeah. I cry out will I stand alone again in my <laughs> search for freedom? So it, we, yeah, it's essential to have something like that. But anyway, I think they have a poem on it too. Um, but anyway, um, so we wanted to have like, yeah, to really make a statement. Like we're, we're not just a band, like we're a whole thing. We have a whole idea behind it. Like you have to have an LP. And then like the, and it was great because the CD had the CD ROM with some footage on it. So and it really helped get the word out about what our shows were like. But yeah, we just always been like, you know, we're a whole, um, you know, you know, we wanted to make a whole cohesive package, I guess, you know, but in, you know, it's good, but I feel like we never really had it. I feel like when we recorded Wall of Death, we, we really wanted it to sound like Bring It, <laughs> you know what I mean? And like Bring It, we wanted to sound like this record. We just didn't know it yet. Like, you know, we've always kind of um, didn't have the resources or the time really to like put the effort into the music 
like we had in our heads, you know, not that we're not proud and little things records are good, but like, and at the time I think we felt, you know, we're, we're doing as bad as good as we can. Um, but like, you know, this record, I feel like is like, you know, it's all about having time, you know, and like mm. doing it right. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's, it almost was like the start of a new era in hardcore. Like I think coming out of the nineties and when I say those, I mean like the early nineties and the mid nineties and yeah, even the late nineties, like DIY hardcore was very serious and like bands took themselves very seriously. Like you were saying with, with his heroes gone and tragedy and like, you know, even dropped it. Like I love these bands, so I'm not talking shit at all. And I think they're still amazing, but at the same time it was very serious and there was sort of like this return to fun that came about in the early 2000s with like you know you guys and municipal waste and i think you know even even i lump in like tear it up and and stuff like that like bands where there was like we're gonna have shows there's gonna be crazy but you know the object is not to hurt people but we also don't want to just sit on the floor anymore yeah yeah tired of eating cold peanut sauce noodles on the floor (laughs) um and uh but but also the weird thing though was like you're right but then the whole like um then but then like um the the like stadium crusting happened and none of this band most of the bands don't have standalone singers you know yeah no, um, that was mike's same bands yeah <laughs> Mike's same. and then like the uh um <laughs> that's funny uh and then but a lot of those bands, like even though they got more like poetic uh, and less like overt, like you know, like his hero and tragedy and from ashes, like you know, they're like they're not as like it's, they're not like Alice Rotten, where it's like these are the yeah. problems, these are you know, like um, so I feel like I was some I felt like Rambo almost felt like while we were part of the like new fun movement, we were also like a holdover from like a band that like, you know, was like overtly political and not poetic at all. It's like, you know, it, it, it felt like we were like a holdover from that era. You know, it was weird um, to like kind of bridge that, that gap. Yeah. And I guess there were, but there were, I guess that was also, there was that sort of like youth crew stuff just prior to that, where there was sort of like the return to the literal too. And like, you know not slow down uh what is it coded messages and slow down songs yeah and i think like the stadium crust thing it's almost like that that's like uh crust music's prog rock period you know like when people talk about prog rock in the 70s and how removed it had become from uh, like the the street rock and roll um and it's i kind of feel that about the stadium crust like that was like the 90s crust or, or fest rock stuff hitting its apex and uh you know and we went on tour one time on this crazy festival tour metallica was headlining and i went into the metallica stadium one night and i sat in the back and i had on my headphones and i listened to tragedy as i was like and i was pretending it was them on stage and my god that stuff would hit in a stadium yeah it would still be sick in a stadium today you know maybe they'll do a reunion it'll be like at wembley yeah yeah i mean (laughs) that band is just on another level. Um, like they really, you know, the, the production and like the songwriting is just like, man, like again, like 
it's an inspiration for Rambo. We didn't want to sound like them, but we definitely pulled from a very similar um, list of influences. But you know, the 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 emphasis is on different things. Although they don't have the hate breed influence like we do. Yeah, well, you got that East Coast ignorance, Philadelphia yeah. ignorance vibe. <laughs> yeah, that, that's funny. It's like probably the two biggest influences on Rambo were tragedy and hate breed. And it's like tragedy in terms of like, of like, like insp- the inspiration, not trying to sound like, but like more like, oh, you can do good production. You can write really good songs. You know what I mean? Like that kind yeah. of like that kind of profession it's okay to be professional about it you know what i mean in some way um so that kind of um influence and then hate breed because um like our favorite like andy and i love crust i mean or i don't know how much crust he listens to these days but at the time like that was like our thing we loved you know we love doom and extreme noise tower and like Alice rotten um you know so much of that but like a lot of those you know disrupt but like so many of those bands like the best song the song we always listened to was the one that had a breakdown mm-hmm. right yeah like and we're like well why doesn't every crust song have a breakdown and then we're like and if they're going to have a breakdown it should be like a breakdown like not like you know new york city hardcore youth crew breakdowns like if we're going to have a breakdown it should be from the band that does the breakdowns the best which is hatebreed. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, it's like, um, so like, I mean, I don't know if bulls ever even listen to hatebreed other than like us playing it in the van, but like, and I don't, not even that big a, I mean, I like hatebreed. I have a couple of the records, you know, even on digital now, but like Andy loved hatebreed, but like for us, it was like, just specifically like their breakdowns and be like, if you're going to have every cross song should have a breakdown, and if we're gonna have a breakdown, it should be as good as a hate breed breakdown. Like that was basically like the philosophy of, of Rambo, you know. But in terms of like actual music, you know, it is basically like doom discharge, and then like hate breed breakdowns, and then like a little bit of seven seconds and social distortion um, for like um, the me- melodic overtones, and then like you know the catchiness of minor threat, you know, because that's the, also discharge too, like. A lot of bands, a lot of people, when they talk about, you know, um, a lot of people talk about Discharge, or a lot of bands when they emulate Discharge, and even Minor Threat, I feel like they they forget that they were catchy songs. Yep. Jennifer from Royal Trucks, when she was on the podcast, said that that was her influence in making pop music buried in noise, was she could always hear the hooks in Discharge. Yeah, and, you know, Doom does a good, pretty good job of it. You know, mm-hmm. especially when you see them live, you know, mm-hmm. they, they're pretty catchy, you know, but like, yeah, like, like that's the thing. They're, just, they're so catchy. And I'm like, you forgot about, you know, how catchy. Yeah. And I saw an interview with Jamie from Hatebreed and he said um, that Hatebreed was influenced by um, his, no, what's this quote? And he says something like, we wanted to be an old school Harker band like Cro-Mags and Discharge. Yeah. And I feel like I don't know if they say this or not. I don't, but to me, Chromags sound like Bad Brains meets Discharge. I don't know if Chromags cite Discharges or influence or talk about it, but to me, Chromags 
totally sounds like if you take Brad Brains and Discharge, combine them, that's Chromax. So I feel like they go full circle. Rambo is Discharge means hate breed. <laughs> you know, it's like. Oh, yeah. No, well, I think with like hate breed, they are. Uh... I don't know, like like you were saying like when that record came out and it was a DIY record right like when that thing came out it changed music like like you're saying like they they were very much in the same way tragedy was for like a certain style of of crust music hatred was for a certain type of like moshcore I guess I don't know like moshy hardcore yeah uh, but you know and I still like their first time they played Toronto like it was on that Voorhees tour. And so I still always associate them kind of with more of the DIY hardcore scene, even though they obviously became much bigger than, yeah, like, I don't know, like one of the biggest metal bands at one point. Even, Did you? Uh, so good. I've ever seen um, um, the the satisfaction tape in the in board that icons van, you know, like yeah, uh, and they're like it's great. I'm I forget. Uh, these crust kids in Baltimore, their joke was that the best crust record ever made was Satisfaction played on forty at, on forty five. <laughs> someone, someone here used to say though the best uh, Oi record ever made is Negative Approach Seven Inch played on thirty three. Oh man, I could see that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, yeah, no. There's, there's just something about some of these bands where you know the records came out and it just shifted the the style of punk in a way and like you know like obviously there's records on in multiple genres that kind of did that in punk right like i think refused when shape of punk to come came out like it changed so much shit and even you know it's funny with jamie hatebreed there was an interview with him and i bring it up to him on the show where uh, he said that hatebreed was formed because someone told him that quicksand was a hardcore band and it made him so it bummed him out so much that he wanted to make a band that was like the antithesis, antithesis, this, 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 sorry, of, uh, but just like the complete polar opposite of whatever. Um, oh, that is so is. funny. Yeah. That's so funny. But, but so this is cracking you up. Um, I, there's a store on South Street called Veeam, and it was like, you know, it sold mostly just t shirts and I don't know, maybe water pipes. AKA bongs. I forget. Yeah. yeah. One of those. I know stores. this type. I know the type yeah. of store. Yeah. And, um, but they also sold some records. It wasn't really a record store, but they had some records. And I remember like when I was, um, you know, I was firmly into punk at this point, but I was really, into, I was listening to punk, but I wasn't necessarily like, I'm only listening to punk, but I regret because I totally did that. And it was sucked because I did that. Like I didn't go see Nirvana. At a small venue because mm-hmm. i was i don't see nirvana i'm like i could have seen like so many of these amazing bands you know making incredible music that i like now you know yeah i could yeah. have seen at their you know when they were around you know before they died for god's sake you know um but i was like you know but anyway like um i remember going i kept hearing about hardcore right and it was weird because like I didn't know what it, what it was because like there's the kids that were baggy behind like like you know really baggy pants with like, the bottom cut off like you know like, they would cut like the the hem off the bottom of their jeans and yeah. wear like you know like uh 
Adidas, they wear like Puma, sweet Pumas. They're almost like, almost like, there's a time when like hardcore in like rave fashion was like somewhat like in a oh, feedback very close together. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 um, anyway, so like, I was like, and I thought Grill Biscuits was like a rave brand because these kids wear big baggy, you know, jeans and like, and Grill Biscuits seemed like some weird made up like brand. I thought, I didn't really, I had no idea it was like a punk band. Right. Um, but, uh, anyway, because, um, Anyway, so like I remember going to like Veeam on South Street and be like, um, do you have any Harker records? What what's hard? I don't know what it is. Like and they were like, and the guy was like, um, he he recommended he he's here buy this. And so he so I bought Inside Out and um and Quicksand. But but on tape, by the way, both on tape, like <laughs> yeah. cassettes, cassettes, singles or whatever. So I bought the quicksand and inside out. And uh um and it was funny that like Jamie's like someone says they're hardcore, but maybe it was the same guy. Obviously not, but funny that, like people did consider them hardcore. They're like, here you go, here's yeah, I'm what hardcore, what's hardcore, inside out and and quicksand. And like, you know, I did like them both, but like, you know, obviously, you know, did I I did um yeah, you know, oh, like, I, I don't. I don't really like stick with that stuff. Like that, a lot of like, I like Youth of Today. To my mind, they're still the the best of those bands, to, um, rev bands, because they sound like a punk band to me. You know, they're so frantic. Mm. Uh, I mean, granted, it's all punk, but like mm -hmm. to me, like Youth of Today, so like, I, I just think you know, I I, I think they're phenomenal. Well, I, I love quicksand, you know, and I, I brought yeah. it up to Walter when Walter was on the show. I'm like, how amazing is it that even in rejection, you're inspiring people like that's like, you know, if, if the idea of art is to get a reaction from people and to, to cause some sort of emotional response, like I, I kind of even think causing a negative emotional response in someone, like as long as you're not physically assaulting them to get it. But I mean, like if you're able to elicit that response just through the work you create, yeah, that's very powerful. Yeah, that's funny. It's true. It makes sense. Yeah. Like, I mean, but it, it's amazing that, like, if that's true, I mean, I guess it's true to be said, but it's like, man, I mean, objectively, Quicksand's a phenomenal band and they're so influential. Um, and then Hatebreed is a phenomenal band that's so influential. Mm -hmm. I So, do you know this podcast? Um, is Do you call it with Wind of Change? Is it a podcast that is a series of where theory is that the CIA um, ha um, helped write when to change by um, scorpions to help bring down the, the, you know, the Berlin wall and the, you know, so yeah, eh. I've heard of this thing. I have not listened to it. I only, I only really listen to wrestling <laughs> podcasts, sadly, but that's, and the Gilbert so, Godfrey podcast. Oh, I just checked that out, but uh, I'm not, not wrestling, um, um, but Gilbert Godfrey um but um the uh so i have i want to do a podcast totally done in the same kind of like you know ira glass voice like whatever that like i don't know the podcast voice yeah you know yeah. it's funny it's also that genre of music that like where it sounds like ira glass is singing you know like <laughs> i think the mountain goat started it and they're the only band that's good and there's all these other bands, you know, like the Decemberist or whatever, like they all have that like nasal, like intellectual voice talk spoke. They, 
like talk sing voice. I don't know. It's weird. But anyway, I want to do a podcast like I have a theory, much like the theory that CAA wrote um, um, would have changed. I think like high school gym teachers and guidance counselors wrote perseverance for hate breed to like <laughs> to like get kids to like get their shit together and like and like be positive and not commit suicide and like make gains that's my theory that like yeah, it, it's a, it's a lot more pod, positive of a record than satisfaction which is definitely like well you know like it's honestly satisfaction is just like a lot of the stuff from prior to it too uh re-recorded but that record is such a negative record and perseverance is almost like the response to it and which makes sense because here's this group of people finding success doing what they love so it's yeah. it's it's cool that's reflected in the record it's basically like you know, uh the story you hear about henry rollins getting into weightlifting when he was in like middle school right like mm -hmm. it's basically like that made into a record yeah. it's just like like that's it's just like i'm a kid it's like this is how i think you know basically like i'm you want a kid who's like to motivate themselves to like, you know, get shit done and like, you know, overcome like some issues they're having. Like, here's your record. Like, it's meant for like a 14 year old to like yeah. not end up a school shooter. You know what I mean? Like, it's like that record is like, <laughs> is like perfect for like, you know, to keep kids out of off of drugs or like not commit suicide or something. It's just like, if that if anything could actually work for that, but like that is, but it's like not corny either. I don't know. It's like mm -hmm. so, it's so sincere. You know, I think it's a brilliant piece of 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 writing and music. And like, you know, I I, I love it. I love that it got huge or whatever. I wish Hatred. You know, it's a shame because they're like they're the best one trick pony, but like they kind of had it branch it get a little bit more like musical or metal and it's not really the same, but like, what else are you going to do? Make the same two records over and over again, you know? Well, that's the thing is, is, and it comes up on the show time and time again is we are all so emotionally attached to these bands and certain records that these bands put out. And the reality is it's like a really fucking long life and these careers can be really long. And like, yeah, you're saying like, do you are you out cold and you put up the same amazing record over and over again or do you grow and try and you know take yourself to different places with your music and you know it's a it's a weird thing because i think as fans we think we want it one way but i don't know like you know we're, i don't think every band's going to be out cold and be able to do it yeah and then but i like you know, tragedy's trajectory is pretty cool because yeah, they, they kind of like they found a way. Yeah, you know, they they uh they varied it up a little bit, uh, and then the last record is like a kind of a return to like how they started, but like still different. You know, it's yeah. like raging, but like almost more like maybe it's the most raw stuff, even you know. I think it and the sound they created allowed it to, you know, it allows for more experimentation and more influences to come in there and still retain its shape. But, you know, like Hatebreed sound, it's it's different, right? Like it's a it's a different sound to kind of like 
you know, like it, it, it's, it's harder to fit like orchestral parts in. Yeah, for sure. Uh, this has been amazing and we might be the longest episode I've ever done of this podcast. I, I know I don't even like, yeah, it's funny. Like I, I'm actually really into watches and not wearing one right now. And like, I have no idea how long we've been because I'm literally in like my basement. Um, was just like my man cave, which is really full of nature books, but yeah. also a Barbie, also a Barbie dream house because I have a two year old girl, and I have no idea how long is we've been talking. Well, it, it, it's 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 about three hours that we've been on the phone all. Oh in my god! At this point, so. <laughs> uh, but Tony, anytime you want to come back for a part two, yeah, you know the. I literally thought we talked open. for maybe an hour and a half. I can't believe it's been almost three hours. Yeah, no, um, it's definitely one of the longest ones I think ever. No matter, uh, you know, even cutting out a few things here and there, it's going to be, yeah. I think, the longest episode ever. So <laughs> we broke a record, my friend. Well, it's my and, honor, man. It's also it's like nice to catch up. <laughs> absolutely. Well, I was going to say we haven't. We've been. This has been like almost like uh, close to twenty years, probably in the making. This conversation, so it was going to be a long one. Yeah. And you gotta get wheels on, man, to talk like, shit he's doing with uh um you know being such a successful, you know, cinematographer and like um and, and taking that punk, you know, aesthetic, you know, to film like is a uh, is like pretty damn cool. So you gotta get I, on, yeah, man. please let's set that up because that would be amazing. Yeah. And and once again, anytime you want to come back on, you know the door's always open. Awesome. I guess we gotta put the video on, right? So you can like get my my shot for the the thumbnail right thank you tony for coming on the show and you heard right there tony will be back because we could talk more who would have thunk that even after three hours there'd be more to talk about but tony will, will be back to talk about more stuff in the future and uh, pick up the new rambo record when it does drop uh, first week of november november 4th Defy Extinction on Relapse Records. Pre-order that thing now. And not now, but in the future, on the next episode of Turned Out a Punk, we will be joined by a legend. You may know him from the band The Untouchables. You may know him from the band Faith. You may know him from the band Ignition. You may know him from the band The Warmers. You may know him from the band Hammered Hulls. But after the next episode, you will know him even better. Alec Mackay joins us for a incredible conversation. This is a really fun episode. I'm very, very much looking forward to you hearing it. And uh, yeah, it's a good one. We got we got a, a lot of good ones coming up. Hot hot streak, hot streak. Turn out a punk hot streak. 2021. That's 2022. 2022. Uh, all right, that is it for the show today. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter, the lives of indigenous peoples all over the world and issues of indigenous peoples all over the world matter. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and stop hate and violence towards people of different faiths and different races because this is not politics. These are not political issues. These are basic human rights issues. People deserve to be able to live without fear of hate and violence and discrimination and to live free. So 
get involved in organizations that are affecting positive change in this world. I also will add that I, like many other people, believe that the right to access safe abortion is a human rights issue as well. And so if there's organizations that are doing positive work in any of these areas that you feel that you can get involved in, be it with your time, be it with your support, be it financially even, uh, do so because change doesn't happen unless people make it happen, right? That's what we've all learned. Uh, go out there and start your own culture because anyone can do this stuff. Start a band, start a fanzine, start a podcast, maybe, you know, put, start, start something. Just, just do something for your, your mental health because doing creative things to help, does help your mental health. You know, maybe just draw a picture for yourself. Speaking of mental health, try meditating. I didn't believe in it. And here I was flying in the face of thousands of years of thought on the subject and only to come around to it and realize they were right. I was wrong. Try meditation. It took me a while before it kind of clicked with me, but when it did, it really did click with me. Uh, sign your organ donor cards because you can make a miracle happen. I've seen it happen with my own eyes. Just sign that card and, and change will come for someone. You won't be here to see it because you'll be dead. But they, you know, they'll, they'll be doing better. And you're not going to need it where you're going. You don't need those organs. It's just dead weight at that point. And on that note, I got nothing left to say. Thank you very much for listening. And I will see you on the next episode. Stay safe. Bye.